Bring it in. Read Option Pod back. And better than ever, there is a lot to talk about. A huge sports weekend. Playoff baseball making a monstrous comeback after what had been kind of a slow start. It seemed like we had the Rangers and the Phillies kind of dominating the uh, the playoffs. The fifth out of the World Series was set. Next thing you know, we are now heading to a game seven between the Astros and the Rangers after an unreal weekend of playoff baseball. And the Phillies drop two at home, uh, two on the road in Arizona, win game five, and now have a chance to win game six and advance to their second straight World Series tonight as we are recording Monday afternoon. Uh, Scotty is in travel. I'm a little bummed we don't have Scotty on this pod because he uh, – well, let's just say he was a part of golf magic, something that very few people are ever witness to this weekend on a bachelor party. Uh, so we'll we'll yes. save. I feel like we should save the story. You have to because I I, it's to Scotty's story thing. to tell. Yeah. So we'll just say this: it was true golf magic. What Scotty was a part of, and uh, we want to make sure he's here to tell the story. But that is Vito. Vito's here, tag teaming it up, a Jeff and Vito pod, which are always funny, always get off the rails are never normal, um, and I'm excited to do this. So how are you, buddy? How was your weekend? Um, dude, so I did something I haven't done in forever, and I had people over during football. Ooh. I had a party. I decided I was going to do this. Um, Cleveland or Philly? Cleveland. Okay. So Penn State, Ohio State, with most Ohio State fans. That's um, tough. But South Africa played right after uh, in the World Cup. They won. Shout out to them. Redeeming the day. Uh, one by one point. It was crazy, dude. At the end of the game, we came back and won. And we're in the finals against New Zealand next weekend. It's the rugby update for the pod right there. But they uh, had people over. It was really weird, man. I'm running around screaming. Penn State gets that's like, you know, fumble recovery for a touchdown. There's a flag. Okay, maybe we just got the turnover. Nope. It was definitely was defensive holding right from the ref. Great job. They get to move on with the drive. It was uh it was weird being with a lot of people. So strange weekend, but shout out to Luke and Ege, my two friends from Dayton, drove all the way up here just to hang out for that game, hang out for the weekend, watch some sports. And uh dude, I gotta say, I, and you know how this is, like you're a sports diehard fan. I I'm actually like I know I had some outlashes and screamed and yelled some shit. I was proud of myself. I was like, hey, I, I hung out with people. There was a baby here at one point. That was one of the shocker. biggest <laughs> you had you had a child. In yeah. your apartment, yeah. Hasn't happened before. <laughs> yeah, a very rare occurrence, uh, especially one of the biggest games of the year for you. Mm-hmm. You could say arguably the biggest game if yeah. you're a Penn State fan. Living uh, in Ohio, yeah, I think it probably was. So, Yeah. Um, honestly, the biggest disappointment from that game over the weekend was just that it seems like Penn State is going to kill our read option parlay that we put in at the end of last week's episode because mm-hmm. – JMU won. They covered the spread. The yeah, Eagles won and covered the spread. Uh, South Africa won. And yep. we'll see what happens on Monday Night Football tonight with the Niners. They were the last part of it. And I guess right, because you put you didn't put the Broncos in. You put South Africa instead of the Broncos. But then the Broncos won. Penn yeah. State was the only one that let us down. It was a tough game. It was – I'll say this. Shit. It was, The whole game looked like shit. It wasn't, yeah, an enjoy, it wasn't an enjoyable football game to watch. No, um, and that was two probably teams that are really good too, but and 
Yeah, that's probably what made this whole watching with other people better is it wasn't a close thriller. They got a bad call. It was just like, nope. The refs pretty much had what was going on. It was a yeah. shitty game. There was penalties. There was whole like, I get it. Everything that you saw was like, yeah, this is kind of how it's going. It just was. It was disappointing thing for all fans to have that shitty of a performance from Penn State against Ohio State. And Ohio State also have, to your point, a mediocre game themselves. And just like stay up enough to win. It was it was just not a good football game. Especially because it was like the only interesting matchup really going into this week. Now, Utah and USC ended up being an awesome game. And Utah winning wow. on the game winner. Um, handing USC back-to-back losses. Effect- effectively ending Caleb Williams' uh, run at potentially winning back-to-back Heismans. Which we've never seen in our lifetime. Last person to right. do that was Archie Griffin at Ohio State. So I I was actually kind of rooting for that. Um but now we'll say Michael Penix could have a case for it that they look they didn't look great against Arizona State. Um, yeah, there was it, it's a shame because I think that's that's exactly what it was. It wasn't. I saw people arguing about this online and people saying like, "What are you talking about? It was a bad game. It was just two really good defenses." And I was like, "I mean, that's kind of true." But to me, it felt way more like sloppy offensive football than it was like defenses playing out of their mind. You know, but there were plays on both sides where wide receivers had enough separation and the ball was just overthrown or underthrown. Like uh, both defenses played great, but there are multiple plays where drew just through Penn state's quarterback, just threw the ball, like on an out route with protection. That was good. Stepped into the throw, missed the guy, right? That's missed, the throw yeah. he's been making all the time and why you have to be consistent. Both quarterbacks. I felt like we're missing those They're, like it was, that's why I think it was, it was a little more sloppy than people think. Um, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I don't think like I've watched both of those teams enough this year to tell you that that was not in the top. That's not in the top two thirds performance for Penn state. That might be their worst. I mean, it's a good team, so you can't take it. You know, you got to give credit to Ohio state and it is a good defense over there too. But like, I would say that's definitely not in either team's top half of their performances this year. No, um, I, I think it's yeah. the worst performance by both teams. I think that the Notre Dame game, for as poorly as Ohio State yeah. played in that game, obviously they still found a way to win the game. What was interesting about it, and we're opening here doing a little bit of college football talk. The the interesting already thing get of, off the rails, Joe. Well, yeah, exactly. Already off the rails. Yeah. But no, it's it's obviously a huge game, and I think we'd be doing a disservice to our fans, who we have a ton of Penn State fans. We have Ohio State fans who listen to this podcast, so it's, it is worth mentioning. Um, this game, and it's one of the very, very, very few instances that you can say this in football, but this game was flipped because of one person. And it was Marvin Harrison Jr., right? There was one guy on the field who was able to, to without Marvin Harrison Jr., they don't, and you know, obviously like a couple of turnovers here and there, like those are impactful plays, don't get me wrong. But the biggest difference between these two teams was Ohio State had a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Penn State didn't, you know? No. And, and, and having a guy like that who, I mean, even though the game offensively was gross, in the third quarter, he still had like, nine catches for 140 yards or something. And even the place where they didn't end up in the end zone for Ohio state, there was that in that second half, I think end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, he was the reason that they were getting into field goal range. He was the reason that they were pushing the, you know, especially to close out that fourth quarter. He was the reason on that deep, uh, the shallow drag route that he took all the way and ran up the turned up with like about five minutes left in the game, took it for about 30 yards, puts them in field goal range. Penn State gets the ball back. They go for it on fourth down. They don't get it. And it's the same thing. They get the ball back to Marvin Harrison Jr. He gets them down into field goal range. And that really iced the game at that point, taking it from, 
what was a, a, a four point game into a touch into a touchdown game and then into a two possession game. And it never really kind of bounced back from there, but that is the difference, right? I mean, that's a, that's why he's going to be a top five draft pick in the NFL next year. That's why he's got the highest grade already from McShay and Kuiper and those guys since Calvin Johnson, since Jamar chase, like he is in that top, top, top echelon of, of wide receiver prospects coming out and, it's a, it's a brutal game. It's a brutal game if you're an Ohio State fan, if you're a Penn State fan watching that. If you're an Ohio State fan or a Penn State fan, and then you look at what Michigan's been this year, you're like, neither one of those teams is going to be able to hang with Michigan this year, uh, right. especially with this game being in the big house. Uh, I, I At least the, Penn, the uh, Ohio State-Michigan yes. game is going to be in the big house this year. Uh, it feels like now they get all their stuff going on with the cheating or the alleged cheating and spying and all that, and we'll see what happens oh, yeah. with that. One of the Ohio State fans that was here was like, hey, do you think this cheating thing's a big deal? And I was like, I fucking hope so. I, I don't think it is, but I hope it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's which is an interesting rule, but yeah, you can't send in-person scouts to other games. You used to be able to back in the yeah, day when you when everyone you could, did. That's the only yeah. thing you could do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, other, other than that, you'd have to like reach out to the team and be like, hey, can we get film of your team? You yeah, know, nowadays film. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, you know, but you used to be able to send people to go scout. You can't do that anymore. Uh, and so that seems to be the, the kind of the crux of where this Jim Harbaugh and Michigan situation is right now. And to your point, one, one last thing about Marvin Harrison Jr., had a career high in catches with 11, which I thought was actually low for him for career yeah, high. It does seem low. But, but the amount that he did on first down, his contested catches, if you watch that guy, that's he is the best college football receiver I've seen. And in, in, I would say, like, and, and this is just me, not the experts. Calvin Ridley, maybe? Mm. Like, the the separation. Like, Calvin Ridley was always just get so much separation. Martin Harrison Jr. can, but he doesn't need to because he – all the contested catches he grabs too. It, it's just incredible to see to your point. He's definitely going to be a guy competing against quarterbacks for those top spots up there. Yeah. And, and I would say he, he reminds me in terms of impact and stuff. Uh, Jamar chase is the one for me, at least because watching that 2019 LSU team, like, you know, a guy is at that special level when he literally slants the field, right? Like it feels like when he's on the field, he's playing downhill, he gets the advantage of running downhill. He has the higher ground and is running down and away from these guys. Um, he completely changes how you defend every single team. And and Ohio State isn't loaded with a ton of talent on the outside like they have been in the last couple of years. It's like right now it's really like Marvin Harrison Jr. is that. And also, by the way, we Your always love to. Yeah, we love to give shout outs to uh, to assistant coaches and guys who don't get a lot of love. Brian Hartline, if you don't remember him, he was an NFLer for for a long time. Little slot receiver, right? I mean, great footwork. He was like Wes Welker before Wes Welker, right? Uh, Brian Hartline is the wide receivers coach at Ohio State and is as good at what he does as anybody in the country, college or NFL. I think he's the best wide receivers coach in America, regardless of level. So he, anytime I get a chance to shout out Brian Hartline, to me, he is at that like Jeff Stoutland level where it's like you're going to give him yeah. a group and he's going to turn that group into fucking dogs. And I mean, just look at the guys who are going off right now in the NFL who who he's coached at Ohio State. Um, it's, it's an insane list. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't love giving Ohio State credit um, but I do like Brian Hartline. Oh, it's so well-deserved with him. To your point, he could go be an offensive coordinator probably anywhere he wanted to be. So I wonder what his career is going to look like. Because I, I think, to your point, he could go to the NFL 
uh, right now. And people would take him as a wide receivers coach for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think he could get coordinator jobs in the NFL if he really wanted it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, look what Joe Brady did right when he made that jump. And I'm, I'm curious, I wonder where Joe Brady is right now. He got to be, I'm sure he's coaching somewhere. I feel like he probably went to the Nick Saban reha- uh, coaching rehabilitation school. And <laughs> he he's probably back. coaching it somewhere. Well, because he was at Ready? LSU. You ready for this? He yeah. is the quarterbacks coach for the Buffalo Bills. For the Bills. Oh, I knew that actually. Right? I, I knew forgot that. about that too. Yeah, He's, I did. Yeah. I did know that. So I, any any of these uh, woes we have in Buffalo, we got to tie Joe Brady's name to. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently it's Joe Brady's fault. Um, <laughs> that's too funny. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., by the way, too, for whatever reason, like we've seen guys who we watched play have kids in the NFL now. It resonated so much more with Marvin Harrison for some reason because he's a Marvin Harrison senior is a Philly guy, went to went to the St. Joe's prep, uh, was in the same class as my uncle actually when they when they were going through school. Um, there's some legendary stories about Marvin Harrison, but like I just I remember watching Marvin Harrison. Same thing with yeah. Asante Samuel Jones. We're like I have vivid memories of Marvin Harrison in the NFL. I remember drafting him and and so many Madden teams over the years, and mm-hmm. now his son is not just you know going to be playing in the nfl is gonna be a top five top three he'll probably be the first non-quarterback taken off the board uh in this year's draft which is crazy um it is. so before we get into football though a little fun thing i did this weekend mm-hmm. uh friday night i got to see one of my all-time favorite musicians uh oh. went and saw john mayer let's for, go for the s- second time i've seen john mayer um First time was amazing concert. He played for like three plus hours. The first time I saw him, he was doing sets with the full band. He did some acoustic stuff. He did the John Mayer trio, which is all the blues music. And then he brought the band out again. It was an amazing show. This tour that he's on right now. And I implore anybody out there, if he's coming to your city on this tour, come and see it. It's called John Mayer solo. And it's just him on stage with an acoustic guitar. The entire show. And he put, he does a couple songs at piano and he'll pull out the electric guitar here and there. Um, used the loop station a little bit, took a play out of yeah. uh, the, uh, or took a page out of the Ed Sheeran playbook, which was really, really cool. Um, but I don't know if you've ever, whenever you go see an artist, who's like one of your favorite artists, but they're also like a big name artist at the same time. You always go in hoping like, Oh, I wonder if he's going to play like this deep cut song. Right. You know, he's never going to, but you kind of have a little bit of hope that he will. Or she, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. the artist is or the band is going to is going to play like this deep cut song. That's like a personal favorite to you. They never do because they want to appeal to everybody who's out there. This whole tour and this whole concert was almost exclusively deep cuts. So that's in, pretty legit. So this whole it's him on acoustic guitar. He was in a small venue. It was like a 10,000 seat venue. Uh, which is, you know, like half the size of Capital One Arena, which is where the Caps and the the Wizards play here in D.C., uh, half the size of the Wells Fargo Center. Really, really small venue, not a bad seat in the house. And he's just he played like Walt Grace's Submarine Ride, which is one of my all time favorite songs. There's a lot of like personal meeting to me. Uh, Edge of Desire, which is one of my all time right. favorite songs. Yeah. Um, he played uh, In Your Atmosphere, which is a song that he only ever did live, never actually recorded. Uh, he played songs off this album called Paradise Valley, which is like the forgotten John Mayer album. He put like six songs off of it. It's one of my all time favorite albums. So <laughs> the whole time I'm there with my girlfriend and it's funny, he's, he was playing another song that kind of led into um, In Your Atmosphere and he started playing it. And I literally went, oh, <laughs> Like I screamed like, oh, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's like a kind of quiet, not quiet concert, but the whole, it was quiet enough yeah. that everyone in my section turned around and looked at me and I was like, 
sorry sorry and then <laughs> and then as the song kept going everyone else realized what song it was and the looks went from being like what are you screaming about to being like oh like you you saw that that was coming like uh and it was just really oh, cool yeah. that's showed, sort of my favorite moment. oh that's, those are yeah. great he showed old videos and stuff from like 2000 2001 um it was really cool it was an amazing concert so if he's coming to uh if he's coming to your area check it out um could not recommend it enough my my girlfriend's not even a big John Mayer fan, and she was like, "It's just he's the best guitar player in the world right now." He is. That's um, the thing I was gonna say. I saw him last year. He is the best guitar player alive, probably. This dude, it, when he plays a guitar, it's not it's not like someone's playing an instrument. It's like uh, they're a master of a craft. It he is. is a master of of like playing those strings and note. He knows every single note on that entire thing. And knows which ones go together and he's played them all before yeah it's just amazing to see what he can do yeah it's it's like you know when you're for people who wanted to go see brady play before he you know retired or with lebron you know when he goes yeah. the next couple years it's like yeah you know what I, do i want to do it you know what how many opportunities do you get to say you go you went and saw somebody be the best who was the best in the world at something do that exactly you could be the best balloon artist of all time you know making animal balloon balloon animals or whatever i would i would pay to watch you do it if you're the best in the world at that thing it'll um, be great baby it'll be great it's all, there's, yeah, exactly. yeah there's there's a there was a radio host i used to work with who had that take who was like i'll pay to watch anybody who's the best in the world at what they do like and i and i've taken that and i always think about that like if it's if you're the best but also i love john mayer so if he's coming to your area Take the time to go do it. Spend the money. I, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. It was it was a fucking awesome concert. And then uh, that led into an awesome weekend of sports. Phillies, like we said at the top, their t- their uh, first pitch is coming up here in a couple hours. So uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, the Phillies have advanced to the World Series and are not going into a game seven. But we will we will see. Uh, let's get into it. Um, basically, what I learned from this weekend is that we were right about everything. Um, all of our predictions were valid. Like I said, the Eagles were going to kill the Dolphins. It was, of course, that's what it was going to be. Um, it was always going to be that. And we were, no, of course, we were entirely wrong. This is by far the most so wrong. wrong, by far the most wrong I've been. I went three and nine on Sunday um, or two and nine on Sunday. At least I got the Thursday night game right. Uh, hoping the Niners pull through tonight so I can at least salvage something from this god awful week of picks. Uh, as a whole, we didn't do great. Vito stayed above 500, seven and five. Impressive uh, by Vito. Scotty, five and seven. He was like me, struggled a little bit. Uh, and then the college games, we split one and one. We all took Penn State. We all took JMU. By the way, got to say, the Dukes, JMU. top 25, baby. 25th in the country right now in the AP top 25 poll. Number 25 in the coaches poll. The Dukes historic defense. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but they've given up 255 rushing yards on the season. Wow. They are averaging 36 rushing yards against per game. They gave up negative or they gave up negative seven rushing yards on Thursday night against Marshall. Uh, And the uh, leader in the country in sacks is Jalen green on the James Madison university Dukes. Uh, He's got 13 of them on the season, well on his way to shatter the NCAA record. However, we learned something this weekend that not only is JMU not postseason eligible, 
But because they are in this two-year incubation transfer window period thing, none of their stats count as official records in the NCAA record books. So no. Jalen Green could break the single season record and it will not be officially recognized by the NCAA. They'll figure out a way to honor that. They have they have to. I mean they have it's to. They at have this to. at this point, like that's the so stupid. Isn't like, that, ridiculous? that is the point where your rules and all this stuff that you're trying to make the game. Oh, is this about equality for student athletes? Like, how does that make sense? Right? Like, let's no. get back to the point. Okay. Are did they do everything fair? Are they going to class? Are they getting education? Great. Is he fucking people up on the football field? Damn right. And yeah. see him in the record book. He fucking earned it. God, I mean, that pisses me off. Five, five sacks. Like he was all he had eight sacks going into Thursday night's game, and he was already on pace to to tie the record. Um, yeah. he is now with a five sack performance against. Uh, Marshall, he was well on his way uh, and is still on his way to break the record. Because I'll tell you, and I don't know if you were able to watch the game with listening to the announcers on Thursday night. The announcers were absolutely torching the NCAA. Like, more aggressive and personal than I've ever heard two announcers do it. I don't know who they were. I didn't get their names um, because I was playing softball and then I had to kind of go back and I was getting sent clips left and right here uh, of everything going on. I mean, absolutely ripping the NCAA apart. It's it's almost as if like the two guys in the booth were told like, Hey, this is going to be your last college football game ever. Um, just so you guys know, <laughs> ha- ha- have a great call. And then they went out and just were like, fuck it. We got nothing to lose. Let's just absolutely rip into them. Like, and, and I will stand by my theory that objectively, like if they're not going to be in postseason play, this is good for JMU in the long run because they're getting more national attention because of how many people are pissed off at the NCAA about this and the fact that they're continuing to win than they would if they were just a regular group of five team in the top 25. Like they would get some national shine, but now they're getting like top, like front of ESPN stories type stuff. They're leading mm-hmm. radio shows. They're leading podcasts, you know, college football podcasts. They're getting shine all across the media landscape, which is going to be huge for recruiting down, you know, moving forward. It's, it's bullshit. Um, the punter, did you see the stats about the punter on Thursday night? No. Nope. Oh, my God, Vito. Seven punts, seven within the 20-yard line, Ooh. four within the 10. Coffin corner. Three within the three, and two down at the one-yard line. He tied the NCAA record for the most punts in a game down within the 20-yard line, and he went seven for seven. With an unreal wow. performance, like like historically brilliant punting performance from JMU. Uh, but again, that record won't count either. So at this point, it's it's the Dukes against everybody. Haters, man. Yeah, you got the chip. They got the chip on their shoulder. They're also they're a great team. They're still undefeated against the spread. Watch out are. for the Dukes. They are. I mean, it's it's the best thing. The only other thing that can go because I get they're going to have a great season. They're not going to be able to dance. There was some weird law thing that apparently like the, the Sunbelt could choose to let them compete in the Sunbelt championship. If they put it up to a vote, which if they're undefeated, they might be able to do. There's a whole thing about it that they could try to trump the NCAA. They're not going to do that, unfortunately. Um, but at this point, I think that the next thing, the next like grail to be chasing if you're JMU, because at this point, like we've already proved everything we need to prove for this season, basically going undefeated would be sick. Double digit wins and back to back years would be sick. But what they need to do is they need to get college game day to come back to Harrisonburg. The first two times I was a student there, it was 
one of, if not the most electric environment that game day has ever had. Reese Davis has said that multiple times, at least bring game day back to Harrisonburg. They know it works there. They know the fans will be hyped for it. If we can't have postseason play, if we can't, if we're getting fucked with all this stuff, at least give us game day and continue to shine the light on that James Madison and Harrisonburg, Virginia, because that is what that is the only fair thing I can think of with how much the, the Dukes are getting fucked over. So, all right. NFL talk Thursday night. We were right about that line being as weird as it was. Uh, the Jags had that game in control the entire time. They got a little bit squirrely with it towards the end. The Saints tried mm-hmm. to make a comeback at a, uh, who was it? Foster Moreau drops that, uh, Easy would look like it would have been an easy touchdown in the back part of the end zone for the Saints. Um, that could have potentially tied it if they had gotten the two point conversion. But the Jags, right now, four games in 19 days, including traveling to and from London to play overseas, four and oh, in those games. Shout out to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence who played banged up in this game. The Jags got something rolling here and. It feels again like every week we're like, who's good? This team's good. Oh, wait, no, they're actually not good because then they got smashed the next week. This team's good. Who they play next week? They're losing. The Jags are putting something together here. They're sitting at five and two, playing really good football. And I mean, they're in the driver's seat for their division, obviously. But I think moving forward, they're becoming one of those teams that we have to start to you know really, really respect as a top tier team in the AFC. For sure. Uh, like, you know, I, I grew up watching the Jags. <laughs> um, so my, my neighbor, Nick Calcaterra had direct TV. I go down to his house. I'm a Broncos fan. He would throw it on, but you know, Jags were on, that's his team. So I watched the Jags every Sunday, um, since probably about 2002 until 2010. The last time the Jags won four games in a row was 2007. Wow. Um, I remember that team very well. John Henderson, Marcus Stroud, that did two giant defensive tackles, uh, they had a couple of great, great runs there with them. But either way, man, these teams, uh, you know, for Jacksonville, this is something that is really unprecedented for them in a long time. Like, they, again, they had that one year against the Patriots where, um, you know, they were leading in the in, late in the game to go to the, the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. And then all of a sudden they have two first round picks in back to back years, all within five years. It's just an incredible franchise that has these ups and downs. And this is really what they were looking for, right? After Urban Meyer and everything that happened, it's we need some consistency. And we're finally starting to see week in and week out, even with going to London and back. Um, these Jags are, are putting together complete games. To your point, Trevor Lawrence didn't uh, was a little banged up, but the running game, like, like him running, Etienne running, everything, it was crazy to see. Uh, they kind of controlled the game there. And then, yeah, New Orleans <laughs> scored 15 in the fourth quarter to make it, um, seem a little closer than it was, you could say. Uh, it's yeah, I, I that, that it got again a little too close for comfort if you're a Jags fan with the way that that game ended. They should have put it away easier, yeah, they should have. But what I'm liking out of this Jags team is it feels like they're playing complete team football, right? The offense yeah. hasn't been like a juggernaut, right? Like you look at Miami or you look at Cleveland, it's like, all right, Miami's offense is unbelievable all season, Cleveland's defense is unbelievable all season. Look what happened when those two units struggled, right, in these games. The Dolphins end up getting blown out, and the, the Browns should have lost 
to the Colts if it wasn't for a garbage uh, a garbage penalty call against the Colts uh, that ended up negating a turnover that would have iced the game. Both of those teams should have lost. This is a team that's playing complete team football where the offense is contributing enough to help set up the defense to be good. The defense is putting the offense into good situations. They're, they're not turning the ball over a ton. They're, they're just playing team-oriented, clean, good football across the board. And if you had said, you know, take it back to, what, two years ago, Urban Meyer – this time we're like, holy shit, Jacksonville is an absolute shit show. This Urban Meyer thing is an unmitigated disaster. Tim Tebow was in training camp trying to be a tight end. What is happening with this team right now? Right, That's where we were at with this team. If you were to say fast forward two years from that point to say the Jags through seven weeks are five and two in the driver's seat in their division, are one of the best teams. They're a game behind the Chiefs for the best record in the AFC as of right now, I think they'd be the two seed if the season ended today. Wow. They are in a prime spot that we did not think we would see two years removed. And that's the Doug Peterson effect. That's the bring an adult into the room, bring in a Super Bowl winning head coach, somebody who knows how to run an NFL locker room and an NFL team. And uh, I'm just pumped. I'm pumped for the Jags. I, if they can figure it out, continue to win the games that they need to win. The remaining schedule is not incredibly hard. Obviously, since they won the division last year, they do have a few more tough games on the schedule. But, you know, they got that Kansas City game out of the way. They beat Buffalo. That was going to be one of the tough games. But moving forward, the toughest team left on their schedule, they have San Francisco. Pittsburgh's proving to be a bit of a pain. But there are some winnable games left on the schedule. You get Tennessee. You have Houston. You get Cleveland. Uh, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and then Tennessee again. There is wins to be had on this uh, on this schedule here for what I think is a, a good and fun Jacksonville team that I think has a potential to uh, to go on and, and make some noise moving forward. So shout out to them. The Saints, I, I feel the same way with the Saints now that I did last week when I went on my rant about them, right? Derek Carr threw the ball 55 times in this game with a sprained AC joint. You can't do that. You can't do it. You, can't, you just you can't, you can't expect to win. You can't expect to win. That's a ridiculous number, especially yeah. I mean, he's just he's in as of right now, he's incapable of pushing the ball down the field, right? Like there's only so much you do. Now, Michael Thomas made an unbelievable touchdown catch in that game, so I'm still not I'm still not going to sit here and say he's any good because he's not. He's terrible. Um, he's not terrible. He's been decent. He's actually been healthy this year, which is, uh, I think, more more impressive than than I thought he would be. Um, but as a whole, like if you have Derek Carr on your team and I'm, try- I'm trying to find what his uh, yards per attempt was uh, in this uh, in this last game. But in this course of this season, his yards per attempt, six point three yards per attempt so far this season, which is just Jeez. really, really bad. But he's also if you look at yards on this season. He is uh, top 10 in yards. To, uh, sorry, he's 12th, um, but he's only about 50 yards behind C.J. Stroud, who is currently uh, in ninth for that list. So he's right there near the top 10 guys in, yard, in, in total yards, but his yards per attempt number goes very, very, very low down. He is 32nd yeah, he- out of 50 qualified quarterbacks right now and yards per attempt, which is just not going to do anything. Did you say? 6.3 yards per attempt. Yeah. I just did the math because he had 55 for 301. He was 5.4 this week. 5.4. Oh, Jesus. Just not 55 not... attempts. Like, oh, and, and that's and... it's so funny when you look at teams like that. And you're like, I, by looking at the stats, I know you lost. 
Like I wouldn't have have never been able to tell you he threw for over 300 yards by watching that game. No, but when you throw the ball 55 times, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's that's what's happen. And the other interesting stat, and I don't have it up in front of me, but is like the air yards, right? Which is how, oh, how yeah. yards per attempt, but it's air yards. Uh, which that number has been very low for him throughout this season as well. But again, he's got a sprained AC joint. So you're yeah. continuing to push this guy out onto the field and hope that it's going to get better as the season goes on. He, the, the AC joint is not going to get better by having him come out and throw the ball 55 times. Especially they got Jamal Williams back in this game, which a lot of people didn't think he was going to be ready to play. So you have Kamara, you have the uh, the rookie um uh, whose whose name is 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 escaping me? Uh, I got to pull it back up again. Um, but you have you have Jamal Williams, you have Kamara back, and you have uh, oh, I guess he was out in this game. So either way, could be a little. Didn't have all my but facts there. The, Fair enough. But no. But the other thing you mentioned, which I do want to touch on quick, dude. I had this take, and uh, when again I was having um, my friend Luke was still over here watching. I personally think next two yards and quarterbacks, like when they show the stats in parentheses should be air yards. Yeah. I think that would be really fucking beautiful to start seeing because I'm tired of seeing like, it'll even be with um, like Miami's a great example, honestly, but some other teams where it's like, dude, you, like Kirk cousins. Sometimes you air it out down there to Jefferson, but a lot of times it's taking a slant and just running it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would just love to see that. Cause I think people in general will start to see like, what's a normal air yardage distance. And there are some quarterbacks when those air yards are down every time, right around the line of scrimmage, you just it's a it's a different feel of a game. I wish that was shown more often. Love that I, stat. And you look at it and it's like it's it's not also a negative thing. Cause I think like if Scotty was here and is about to hear what I'm about to say, or like watching people like Tua, right? It, it, yeah. There are certain too. offenses yeah. where you have unbelievable, t- unbelievably talented skill position guys. And the simple math of you know, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? So it's yep. like the, the shortest distance to get the ball in the hands of your best skill p- players are oftentimes short passes. It's not throwing the ball 50 yards downfield. But you have to be able to strike on those big plays too. That's what separates really solid quarterbacks and like a guy like Jimmy G on San Francisco versus someone like Brock Purdy, who's actually been able to push the ball down the field more than Jimmy G was. He's been able to make bigger throws like that because then that opens up so much space over the middle of the field and helps you protect on the deep stuff and open stuff in your running game. I totally understand why teams do it, but if you're getting pressure on the quarterback, if you're, you know, struggling, like we saw with the dolphins last night to get the ball in the hands of all of your skill guys, uh, a lot of times, if if the first read isn't there or a team comes in with a really good defensive scheme because they know you're trying to dump the ball quick to, to a running back out in the backfield or, or get on, on a bubble screen to Tyree Kill or to Debo or Brandon Ayuk or some of these guys, if a defense is prepared for that and is game planning against that, then that gives you – then it, it forces those guys to make throws that they're not as comfortable making, especially if you're able to generate pressure, which is exactly what we saw out of the Eagles last night. And it's a way to beat these teams, and that's the flaw that comes in. You can have all the skill guys in the world, but good defenses should be, if you come in with the right game plan, you have the right personnel, you can hang with offenses like that. Um, and you can sometimes expose quarterbacks, like we saw with Brock Purdy in that game against Cleveland uh, you know, two weeks ago. So uh, good win, though, for the Jags. They move on to 5-2. and two. Uh, Sunday's games. Bears-Raiders will start off at the 1 o'clock games. Uh, shout out to Tyson Bajan, man. Yeah, I mean, second undrafted rookie from a D2 college 
the last game he had played, we said it last week, was against the Colorado Mining School. School of the Mines, and he threw School two of picks. The mines, threw two <laughs> picks. Uh, fast forward a year later, and he's he's beating the Las Vegas Raiders. I think whoever was on yeah. the sidelines doing an interview after that game said to him, it was like, a year ago today, you beat Westchester University <laughs> in a football game. <laughs> You know, a year ago to say, and now you just beat the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, shout out to him, man. Look, like obviously this wasn't some Peyton Manning clinic of just dicing guys up, but the kid played well, man. I mean, 21 to 29, 162 yeah. yards, a touchdown, no picks. He put the ball in the spots he needed to put the balls. Deontay Foreman with over 120 yards of total offense. Um, DJ Moore, eight catches for 54 yards. And they're playing a team in, in the Raiders who, like Brian Hoyer, great backup. We've seen him for years. Another dude who's been in the league for so long. I think he was drafted in, like, 2009. Like, Brian Hoyer is so much o- older than you think. He was on part of my take recently, and it kind of blew my mind how old he was. And then they had the rookie, Aiden O'Connell, who looked better when they put him in the game. Um, but this is classic Josh McDaniels just out, outsmarting himself. You know, trying he's like what people think when you're like, oh, he's too smart for his own good. Josh McDaniels thinks he's too smart for his own good. Yes. You know, so he thinks like, oh, I'm so smart. I'm going to come up with this stuff. But don't overthink it because I'm so smart. And I was that he ends up just doing really dumb shit all the time. Um, obviously, this is an ugly game. This is two bad teams. Uh, the Bears, a win like this is good when your team's been struggling. You know, you know this, right? Like, hey, your team gets yeah. a win. But then you're like okay, but there's a part of me that kind of wishes we kept losing because that number one pick sounds pretty nice right now. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get to your Broncos later. But the Bears come away with a win, and Tyson Bajant, Bajant, whatever his name is, comes out and, and plays pretty well. So I was one of those games where I was like, I was stoked for him, and that's pretty much all I took away from this game. Agreed. <clears throat> the Raiders couldn't get anything going. They only had 39 rushing yards. They, just, they were trashed on offense. Um, Bears, they didn't turn the ball over. That's I was shocked to have such a young quarterback from a D2 school come in and not turn the ball over. So just all all the props to him, man, and his whole team. Like, just taking care of the ball in one game. Man, just get something, Bears. Like, happy yeah. for them. Happy for them, for sure. The only takeaway I come from this game is not like a Justin Fields versus Tyson Badgent. But... I, <laughs> I, kinda, what, like, well, not saying one versus the other, but more of like, is this in any way like some sort of indictment on Justin Fields because I don't we don't know how simplified the game plan was for Tyson Badgett. We don't know exactly if they just plugged him into the same offense, if they picked stuff that he really, really liked, if if he maybe just does see the field a little bit better than Justin Fields. It's concerning that with so much of Justin Fields when he's struggling, it's because he's turning the ball over and we've made excuses time after time about wow, Justin Fields. You know, he's got, he's got no one around him. He's got a terrible offensive line. He's got a terrible coaching staff. You know, it's, it's always someone else's fault when we've discussed Justin Fields because of the athleticism we see out of him. But, you know, I remember our first year of doing this podcast, you and I going in, going in it because yeah. I was not a Justin Fields guy. You were coming out of the draft. And my biggest thing was I just didn't know if we, if it would translate the vision that he had at Ohio state would translate to the NFL and examples like this where you have an undrafted rookie come in and and not make mistakes, throw the ball away, high completion percentage. You know, again, he wasn't torching anybody, but he did what he had to do to win a football game. And it seems like Justin Fields maybe, again, if you're going to take something away from this regard, 
I would say it's maybe a, a healthy dose, a dose of, of skepticism about Justin Fields between the ears rather than obviously we know he's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. But I maybe take- there could be something in that kind of space, you know, if we're talking about it. For sure. I think the takeaway to your point is Justin Fields. If you watch the pregame or the postgame um, locker room, they gave him the game ball, the quarterback. His, and his thing was, he's like, man, I'm just really like honored to be out here with you guys and just really happy the team put it together. feel like we all played really well. And like, that feels fucking good. And like, it was yeah. very simple and like a thank you. And I think Justin can kind of look at that and his mindset and attitude, and even body language, it, it was just different. Right. And like, agreed. Justin Fields I, is athletic and is great. And to your point, like, dude, this is the leadership side that some people take longer or some people don't like you guys know, I love to bring up Terry Bradshaw was benched until it was like fifth or sixth year consistently. And then he went on to win four Super Bowls. So like, yeah, this shit can happen. People are different paces, but to, yeah, to what you were saying earlier, like he can learn something from this for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this has got to be humbling. If you're Justin Fields, right? Like there's no question you have more talent than this kid, but this kid didn't try to do more than what he had to do. Right. Like sometimes, and that's why not trying to make it about the Eagles, but like, I think that's one of the things that makes (laughs) Jalen such a stud, right? It's his approach. You know, it's ugly. It's like, we keep winning is the main thing. That's the only thing winning. We won the game. You know, you talk people saying post games, Oh, you know, Jalen, you struggle a little bit. You guys came out the win. How do you feel? Hey, we didn't play our best ball, but we won the game. Right. We won. Winning is winning. That's that's the goal in this league. It's not always going to look pretty. It's not always going to look good. But did you get the win? Did you pull it out? Did you figure out a way to overcome it? 100%, right? And that's that's the humble side of you, which is like, if you want to be great, that's awesome. Be great. But you're not going to come out and throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns in every single game. If you're Justin Fields, you're not going to break off 75-yard runs every single game. Sometimes you just got to take what the defense is giving you, keep the ball moving downfield and figure out ways to win fucking ball games. And like, obviously that's a very overly simplified version of it, but like that mindset I think is very important. And some guys have it and some guys don't. And if I'm Justin Fields, I'm watching what happened here and go, man, this kid came out here less talented than me. albeit going up against, you know, the Raiders, not like super stiff competition, but team that's been solid, at least defensively for most of the season, they've won three games. They were three and three coming into this game. And this kid just did his job. That's it. Came out. I, I love that you mentioned that post game scene in the locker room because I took, I had the exact same takeaway you did. I thought his response talking to the team was awesome. I thought his, the body language comment was great. You could tell he was just happy, humble to be there to get an opportunity. And more importantly, he just wanted to do, his job. The quarterbacks might make the most money, but they are just as simple as anything else, right? Everything else can be perfect and a quarterback doesn't do his job the right way and it falls apart. Everything can be a play can be perfect, but the left guard misses a blocking assignment or gets beat and the entire play is fucked up, right? It takes all 11 guys working in unison in order for a play to work. And that's why football is the ultimate team sport. And a quarterback is one of 11. He's going to get paid more than that, but on the field, he's one of 11. And sometimes Justin Fields tries to be Superman. And, uh, and I think there's, there's a lesson to be learned out of this game. So shout out to Tyson Badgett. That's, that's my takeaway from this game. Uh, Browns Colts. God, this game was wild and weird and drunk. Bro. Um, this is a drunk game. This is a fucking it was, drunk game. It was. Yeah. I, uh, shout that's out the to- best way to describe it. <laughs> It was. It was bizarre. Um, shout out to my buddy Nate and uh, his now fiance Bridget. Ooh, shout out! Engaged, just got engaged this weekend. 
uh, friends of the pod, friends of, of ours. We were at an engagement party at their house yesterday. Um, so we had, we had the games up and, and kind of going back and forth and it just seemed like, you know, talking with people, grab a little charcuterie here and there. And then all of a sudden you look up and it's like, Oh, the Colts are up, you know, the Colts have, uh, the Colts are losing. They're down 27 to 21. Oh, wait, the Colts are winning again. Wait, what is happening in this game? Are the Browns just going to come back? Holy shit. The Colts have 38 points against the number, the most historic defense we've seen in the NFL in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What is happening? Gardner Minshew is lighting up the Cleveland Browns. Meanwhile, Miles Garrett is just going buck wild, just blocking field goals, jumping over offensive linemen, strip sacks, safeties, fumbles. I mean, he's did it all. This game was wild. It was hard to keep track of, especially if, if it wasn't the main game on your TV. You know, I, I'm sure if you're in Cleveland, you probably could have gotten this game locally and could have just watched this game straight up. Um, very, very, very bizarre game. But the most pressing question I have for you, Vito, is what did you think of the Indianapolis Colts' uniforms? Because I hated them. <laughs> Fucking hated them, dude. I'm glad did you brought you? Okay. this up. Okay. Because Eagles, great uniforms this weekend. We'll get into that later. Colts, oh, yeah. the black with blue. Listen, I don't know like much. Duke. It looked okay, like Duke I was telling football. you this though, right? But I don't know much about fashion. I'm clearly not the best at that. I'm not trash either, but I'm somewhere in the middle. I grew That's up learning at a very young age with my three sisters. Don't match black and blue. Don't mix that too much. Just don't. It doesn't look good. You don't do that. That's a thing. That's a faux what? pas. Especially like dark blue and then dark black. It, the helmets, the like the helmets made it worse. The jerseys weren't even that bad. Hated the helmets. I don't know. The the shoulder things were a little strange, but I don't know, man. I, I'm glad we started there, actually, because I almost forgot about that. They were, they were the blue, weird. the blue on blue, the blue top with the blue pants and then the black helmet. It was just a lot. It was just like, yeah, your eyes are almost like, what am I? What am I seeing here? Right. And then you kind of take a minute to look at it. I didn't hate them. I didn't like them. I just thought there was more stuff they could have done. Like, I think the blue on blue with the normal white helmets would look sick. Would like, look I, awesome. I, I think that'd I be think clean. I'm with you. But it did. It looked like Duke because Duke has uniforms where they go blue, blue, and black helmet. Yes. And the, the the color of blue, whatever the, the hex code or whatever is, is, is very, very similar to the Duke blue. So I thought it was a little too close. Um, But the football side of this game, uh, yes. the Browns find a way to win this game late. It was... Uh, you know, Kareem Hunt last minute. It really does suck. I again, you never want to blame the refs. And in a game like this that was so drunk and had so many weird back and forth moments, Deshaun Watson gets knocked out of this game early. Before he did, he looked terrible. That Deshaun Watson interception was god awful. I mean, he did such a good job scrambling to get out of the pocket. Um, and then moving to his left, tries to flip the hips and push it downfield, throws it about seven yards short of his wide receiver straight into the gut of a defensive back. The Deshaun Watson experiment is getting worse and worse, especially when P.J. Walker comes out and is able to basically be just as good as Deshaun Watson has been as a Cleveland Brown, and you paid, what, $253 million fully guaranteed to Deshaun Watson. Right. (laughs) But a little bit of buyer's remorse, I'd say. Um, But even though... The Colts were able to put up, I mean, get three rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. Um, even though the Colts were able to put up big points, the Browns defense ultimately is what stepped up in the biggest moments to win this game. And I think they knew that. I think Miles Garrett knew that because PJ Walker likely wasn't going to get the job done. They did what they had to do to close out the game when they needed it. Uh, and Kareem Hunt finding a way to punch it into the end zone there late. But ultimately, 
I kind of come away from this game being like, I don't think the Browns are like impervious. I regret not taking the Colts because I made, I laid out the full case as to how I thought the Colts could be in this game. And I really wasn't that far off. (laughs) It was like, they needed to run the ball consistently. They needed to generate pressure uh, defensively and Gardner Minshew just needed to make sure he protected the ball and make a couple of Gardner Minshew plays. And that's exactly what happened. So I felt somewhat vindicated that I was like, damn, I was so close to picking the Colts to covering this game ultimately fell a little bit short of that. But what was your biggest takeaway from this game? It's got to be Miles Garrett. It's got to be Miles Garrett. I mean, he had, like, first of all, I, I think we all saw this offense couldn't do shit. This offense, between both quarterbacks, they had two picks, no touchdowns. So all of this was running in the defense, like literally a scoop and score on the defensive side. Now, their defense, Miles Garrett had seven tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, at least one. Um, uh, and he had one the was in the end zone. Yeah, yeah, and, and he, then and the, he block had the block, hit, the block field goal that he jumped the line and just fucking smacked down. I mean, dude, he is playing at a whole different level. Uh, I know there's a few of these guys. I know everyone loves TJ Watt. Uh, he had a great game too. Um, I'm telling you right now, just from the eye test, I was able to watch almost all these games. Um, like I, I've been going with the uh, YouTube TV quad box, and I have two TVs, so I'm basically watching all eight and. It's it, there is enough disparity because there's enough stoppage in the NFL. You can check most of this stuff and watch it. Miles Garrett was a noted, the most noticeable defensive player all weekend by far. And uh, he wreaked havoc on this game without this, without him, the Browns have zero chance of winning this game. Um, it was insane to see. And to your I point mean, too, Minshew four touchdowns, two on the ground, two in the air would not have thought that he does that. And the Browns still win with no touchdowns from their quarterbacks and two picks. That's crazy. It is uh, just an unbelievable, unbelievable day. Uh, His pass rush grade, according to PFF, Miles Garrett, 95.5. Wow. For those of you who don't know, if you're over 90, that's like you're the best player at that position. It's usually you, where you just at. don't you don't see grades in the 90s on pff and he was at almost yeah. a 96 yeah and when um, you do to your point it's a 92 or a 91 a 95 oh my god he had a 95 he was incredible in this game uh i'm trying to find i mean he he won on 23.8 percent of his pass rushes so <laughs> One out of every four pass rushes, he beat his the and this is also while he's getting double teamed. Uh, I'm trying yeah. to find if they have the double team. He had three, uh, two sacks, three hurries. Um, I just an absolute like monstrous, monstrous performance from Miles Garrett. I, I mean, the dude is is a freak. We 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 just know he is uh, every single time. I he just makes such a massive difference in games. And again, we were talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. at the beginning of the pod and guys who can just slant the field to your side. Miles Garrett can do that. And I know there's people out there like whoever in that top elite group, whether it's Nick Bosa or TJ Watt or Miles Garrett, um, Max Crosby, Hassan Reddick, like there's so many elite, really, really good pass rushers in the NFL. If you're asking me to pick one guy, like you get one of these guys, you're going to start your franchise with them. Pick one. I'm taking Miles Garrett. He's got the size, the explosiveness, the speed, the durability. He does 
everything you want out of that position. And he completely changes games. He completely takes over games when he needs to. And you can say the same thing about TJ Watt. You know, you can say the same thing about Nick Bosa sometimes, but Miles Garrett does Parsons, it on every yeah. single play. And the one thing I love about Miles Garrett is he's so effective in the run stuffing game as well. He's so great against the run. Um, I just, I, you can't say enough good about him, especially on a day when not that the rest of the defense played poorly, but they definitely weren't playing up to the, the standard that we've seen from this Cleveland Browns defense so far this season. He's the guy we're like, Hey, the our defense isn't working the way we thought it would. We need somebody to step up and make a play. And he was like, how many do you need? Cause I got about three or four of them <laughs> saved up to, to, to make a difference in this game. He had about five or six on each half. It was nuts to see, man. And think about earlier this year, right? A couple weeks ago, he had that game where he took, at the end of the game against the Titans, end of the half, he took the tackle into Ryan Tannehill, tackled him, and they couldn't even get a playoff. He saved three points when they're in field goal range. Like, he is making plays week to week that we don't see made in the NFL in years in between those. I've never seen that, where a team doesn't at least get a field goal out of that not because they didn't throw it away or they threw it and a guy was tackled because within two seconds, he was down the backfield because someone made an incredible play. That's kind of stuff. Miles Garrett's doing. It's so fun to watch right now, but that team dude, They beat the Niners. They almost lose to the Colts. This is going to be a ridiculous ride for the Cleveland Browns. Who knows what's going on at quarterback. It doesn't seem good. No matter who it is, you're going to have a wild ride for the rest of the year. For sure. You're not going to get any steady games. I don't think. <laughs> No, and and again, he is just he is just an absolute monster. Five pressures, two sacks, three hurries, winning on twenty three point eight percent. One batted down ball, uh, and of course the the you know the I, the blocked field goal was such a huge play in this game. Yeah, and, and completely then- completely swung it. I will say again, I I feel bad for the Colts. I feel I do feel like the Colts got robbed in this game. Um, I thought the I, I forget what it was. It was illegal contact. They called, um, which wasn't illegal contact. It was there was hand checking between uh, Amari Cooper and uh, someone in the secondary for for Indianapolis. The defensive back slipped, and as he's falling down, Amari Cooper's hands were ext- arm was extended. It looked like he pushed, like Amari Cooper pushed him down. Um, I thought that was a really really poor call, especially in that part of the game. I think when you see a guy lose balance, kind of lose his footing and fall down like that, you kind of it's the same thing with pass interference, right? Like if your if your feet get tangled up in each other, they always make it a no call. That to me should have been a no call, and that would have been the game, and we would have because uh, I think it was DeForest Buckner had a strip sack on PJ Walker and ended up with mm-hmm. the football, and that would have ended the game. Uh, I felt like the Colts got robbed of a game here. But again, we've said this every single week from the Colts side of this, you have to feel so good about having Shane Steichen as your head coach. Everyone's, everyone talks about, you know, from the, the, the Shanahan tree and all the guys that have come out from him, right? The McDaniel, you know, the uh, Matt LaFleur, like there's all these guys who've come up and uh, who's going to be the next Shanahan. It's, it's, Kyle, it's, it's Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen is the next guy. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you now, right? And, and it may not be for a couple of years, we got to see what obviously what happens with Anthony Richardson, but they put up 38 points with Gardner Minshew with a banged up offensive line against a historically great defense on a Sunday afternoon. And, and they flat out outplayed the Browns. The Colts, I thought outplayed the Browns. The three fumbles by Minshew almost killed them. Right. But in a game where the Colts lost the turnover battle by two, 
and they still should have won the game against the defense that good. I mean, you just have to feel so good about your coaching hire and about your future if you're a Colts fan. And you'll take losses like this, especially with a young team and a young front office. And, 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 well, and it still is uh, – what's his name? Um, the Chris – oh, who's the GM? Chris Ballard, the GM mm. of the Colts. Uh, it's still Chris Ballard there, but you have to feel good about Shane Steichen moving forward. So uh, shout out to the Colts. The Browns moved to four and two. Uh, I, I think offensively, I, I think they're a team that's going to find their way into the postseason or at least around that area. I don't think they're going to end up winning that division, though. It could go anyway because the, the Steelers are uh, what the Steelers are four and two. The Ravens are five and two, I believe. And the Browns are now four and two. So that and ironically, the team that I think is still probably the best in the division is the Cincinnati Bengals, who had this week off. Uh, they're sitting there at 500 at three and three. So it's anybody's division moving forward. I think the biggest thing is we've seen flashes from the Pittsburgh offense, right, with Deontay Johnson coming back this week. We finally saw the Ravens bust out. We've seen what Cincinnati can do and what Joe Burrow can do, and we know the weapons there. I don't think that Cleveland has the offensive firepower to be a true contender in the AFC, but I do think they have enough to make the postseason. We'll see. Th- yeah. Yeah, we will see. Uh, All right, sticking the AFC, AFC East battle here. And just like everyone expected, the New England Patriots get, and Bill Belichick with his 300th career regular season win, Mm -hmm. knock off the Buffalo Bills 29-25 to on the back of a last-minute Mac Jones-led two-minute drill touchdown pass to Mike Gesicki to put the Buffalo Bills away. Buffalo's in some trouble, man. Um, there are There's a lot of issues going on. Obviously, we've talked about the injuries for the last couple of weeks. It's, it's picked up. It's starting to get worse, which is no doubt un, unquestionably concerning if you're a Bills fan. The bigger concern for me is what the hell has happened to this offense? Because in the last three weeks, the Jacksonville game, the game against the Giants, and now this game against the Patriots, they're one and two, and the offense – is now a bottom 10 offense in the NFL. It's not quite hit the panic button yet, but they've looked really bad in their last three games, and I don't think they're getting any healthier. Uh, Josh Allen, slow starts, missing guys. It really feels like it's like Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, and that's it. And we've talked about that over the last couple of years about how that's how this offense can feel at times. And when they came out this season, they put it on the Miami Dolphins, right? And we saw them look really good at certain times against the commanders. They were they were approaching the game with a balanced attack. They were able to run the football. They were able to spread the ball around to different guys. In this game, it was like, get the ball to Stephon. And if it's not going to Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen's going to try to scramble and make something happen. They finally kind of put it together in the fourth quarter like they did against the Giants. But you can't wait until the fourth quarter to, to have your offense wake up and expect to keep winning games. The Bills can pull it off against some teams, but you can't do it against everybody in the NFL. And now we're looking at this Bills team. And I think they're in a little bit of trouble here, Vito. So that's your point. Yeah, about three weeks ago is when after they went to London, they just haven't had it on offense. They've had injuries on the line a bit, but a lot of them came back. I don't know if these guys are just playing with – I mean – at this point in the season, everyone's playing with some kind of nagging injury, right? Like everyone's hurting. Um, a quote from an NFL guy was like, 
once the season starts, you're just in pain till the end of the season. That's why guys look forward to the end, you know, like they're just in pain. These guys are just constantly beating each other up in practice and you go to a game and I think it's wearing on the bills more than the Patriots. It seems like, I mean, it was crazy to see this game. So first of all, let's take a step back. Cause you said it already historical context. Um, Belichick hitting his 300th win. Listen, there's only, he's the third guy to ever reach that mark. And Don Shula is F four like Don Shula's record will never be broken. I, I really believe that. Um, maybe some guys like maybe literally it would have to take a guy like Sean McVay who started coaching in his early thirties to go until he's in his seventies to really get that point. And a seventeen game schedule. Like this guy was playing when there were fourteen games and twelve games and seasons. So um, it's kind of I love when this comes up because I think the respect that we should give Don Shula. Everyone knows him for the undefeated, you know, um, team of the Dolphins, but he coached for a long time, was a great guy in, in just, um, you know, the entire series of the NFL. My favorite thing, so I'm going to go on this side because this is worth it. You know how much I love the history of the NFL, and his favorite team was the Cleveland Browns, and he played catch with Otto Graham, the only other quarterback to win seven championships, and he said it was the highlight of his football career. He had an undefeated team that he coached, and he said the biggest, like, adrenaline thing was playing catch his playing catch first with day autogram yeah it was his first day at camp and autograms like warm me up will you rookie and he was like oh my god let's go so he was a rookie when autogram played won 400 games and it's just an incredible career even though i know this is bill belichick you got to respect the guy on the top of the list which is don shula so agree back to the game uh what the fuck was this i saw <laughs> vegas 89 percent of the money was on bills this wow. literally casinos were are going to be built based off of this weekend with all these teams that went down the bills being the highest one of them. I mean, I could not believe they didn't even pull out the money line that last drive to the dump off that went for like 40 yards. Yeah. The bills to Ramondre Stevenson. Dude, what the fuck? You can't dump it off and go 40 yards. This team, the defense looked like they didn't even want to be out there at the end of the game. And then on the offensive side of your point, they couldn't like, they couldn't really get the running going at all. Um, now they had some, but I'm trying to pull up the stats specifically, but I remember like James Conner talked about going into this game and it did not look great. Yeah, they had nine 81 rushing yards. Um, he was the guy who I thought was going to be the difference maker and like, Hey, they're actually gonna be able to run the ball. Good play action, everything like that. They couldn't do it. Um, you know, they had two turnovers, which probably was the end of it too. Uh, Josh Allen didn't play his best game and you can tell in the post game press conference and shit, dude, he looks so defeated. He's just like, yeah, yeah. we're going to go back and like look at it and do our best. Like, I just think something has to change in that locker room, whether that's getting a free agent that we don't even know of, like make a trade for somebody, get some new life in there, or something organically has to happen that unites this team, brings them together with some excitement about what they're going to do. It almost seems like these guys must be getting beat up in their team meetings about like they can do better. And, and that's how NFL is but it does seem like he's getting beat up a lot. And like, he just mentally isn't um, the same guy. It seems like even as a year ago. Yeah. I mean, look, and what's so frustrating is it's like, it looked like the bills are going to figure out a way to do it again. Right. They go down, they score the touchdown last minute. They get the two point conversion to make it a three point game. And you're thinking, God damn I'm thinking it. thinking my parlays are still alive. Yeah. yeah you're like, I'm thinking, same, yeah, I was same. there. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, man, 15 points in the fourth quarter after only scoring 10 through the first three, the bills found a way to do it again. They just got to keep Mac Jones from getting going 80 yards and scoring a touchdown, but credit to Mac Jones. Like 
credit where credit is due. Mac Jones played an exceptional football game. 25 of 30, 272 yards, two touchdowns. One of the best games of his career in general. Uh, It's not like, because it's not like the, the Pats were out here, like running the ball down all the way down. I mean, 24 carries, 96 yards. Uh, You know, Ezekiel Elliott had 31 on the ground. Ramondre had 34. You know, it's not like they were doing it on the ground. Like this was a really good game plan by Bill O'Brien that was executed flawlessly by Mac Jones. And this is the stuff that's always been frustrating. This is why, you know, Mac Jones, after his rookie year, when he had Josh McDaniels there, you were like, okay, actually, you know what? Mac Jones was great at Alabama. Remember he made the Pro Bowl because of all the alternates? Like Mac Jones was in yeah. the Pro Bowl technically. That's or, right. you know, his, his rookie year because he had that play where he broke it all the way for a touchdown that got called back and he did the gritty in the end zone and everyone's like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? Um, that's so funny. Like it's it's he's just one of those guys where it's like you and- see it at flashes. You can see the moments of it. Like there's a world where Mac Jones has like a Kirk Cousins type career where he plays as a starter in the league for a long time. He's got to learn how to keep himself under control. And and Nick Saban was on Sunday NFL countdown on ESPN before uh, the games yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking about the, the Bama and the, 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 or the, uh, the Bama reunion game, the Tua and Jalen game on Sunday night. And Teddy Bruschi asked him about Mac Jones. And he said, like, one of the things he said is it's, you know, the biggest thing with Mac Jones was teaching him about body language, teaching him about his temper, right? And not just what you say as the leader, but showing, like, I'm calm at all times, right? And he's like, he was really, really bad at that. Um, I'm blank. He had a really funny name for it before. Oh, he called him, he called him John McEnroe. Instead of Mac Daddy. Jones, yeah, he yeah. called he called him he called him John McEnroe, McEnroe because he That's was like so good because he was so animated and upset and angry all the time and you could see it on his face and he would talk about the way that that would bleed into the rest of the guys on offense and the rest of the starters and the way it impacted other people and how he had to work on staying calm, staying poised, showing the correct body language, right? And in this game. We saw the version of Mac Jones that wasn't John McEnroe. That was Mac Jones. What we've seen for the most part in this season has been the John McEnroe version of Mac Jones, which is him just letting loose all the time. So, like, you got to give credit where credit's due to Mac Jones. Obviously, the Bills are banged up defensively. What the Bills' front office strategy over the last few years has been has been load up on the defensive line so that way you can get pressure because they were looking at it as like, okay, we have to beat Patrick Mahomes in order to get – to the postseason or to get to the Super Bowl, right? That mm-hmm. is the mountain we have to climb. Yeah, that's how you're building your team around. Um, exactly, it's, right? It's, yeah, yep. It's, yep. it's to beat them. The problem is they've neglected so many other areas. And, and then on top of that, injuries where they're down one of their starting safeties, they're down Tredavious White, and now they're down Matt Milano all for the season. It is really hard, even with a good pass rush, which Von Miller hasn't quite come all the way back, even though he's playing. Greg Russo was out and Oliver was out. They're missing core guys to that defensive line. But that strategy in which they've invested so much, both draft capital and uh, salary cap space too, has not lived up to the expectations. And when you're not able to generate pressure against the New England Patriots and Mac Jones, you're not going to be able to do it against really, really good quarterbacks and mobile quarterbacks when you get to the postseason. The Bills are in a tough spot. And they have the talent. I'm not going to count them out because Josh Allen is that good. I do believe in Sean McDermott as a head coach, but Sean McDermott's one of the longest tenured head coaches in the NFL right now. I think he's like fourth or fifth right now on that list. If this season doesn't work out, if you're the bills, like 
You don't want to say blame Sean McDermott, but remember when they had all their defensive struggles last year, who did we blame? We blamed Leslie Frazier. We blamed the defensive coordinator last year. Sean McDermott said, all right, Leslie Frazier, thank you for your time. You're no longer going to be our defensive coordinator. I'm the head coach. It's my responsibility now. And I think Sean McDermott might have a little bit too much on his plate because with all the injuries that this defense has suffered, they are not playing really competitive defensive football. They went up against the worst offense in the NFL and gave up 29 points against Mac Jones and, and Kendrick Bourne and Demario Douglas and Pharaoh Brown. Who the fuck is Pharaoh Brown? I don't even I know who that, that is. I've never, I've never heard that name. Great name. Jalen Rager apparently is on the new England Patriots. I'm seeing yeah. him in the box score. Like, like you cannot do that if you are Sean McDermott. Right. And I don't want to say Sean McDermott's in danger of losing his job, but if this ends up being a disappointing season, if this is a nine and eight season for the Buffalo bills, well, if they miss the playoffs, I think I, if they miss the playoffs, 100% yeah. fired. Yeah. But even if I he's think, a wild card team, it might just be like, look, you've been here a long time. You got to make a run. Yeah. You, you got to do it something. It's the Andy Reid and Philly thing. Like, it's not at you. It's just this has run its course. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. Um, um, one thing, last yeah. thing, to your entire point there about Nick Saban and what's going on with Mac and finally getting him under control, I think that is a major reason with what Bill Belichick is going to do with this team. Like mm-hmm. him being the coordinator back at and Saban, he knows Saban, he gets this whole team. Like this is a whole relationship between the Patriots and the Bama team. Like everyone obviously talks about Georgia and the Eagles. I feel like the Bama and, and you know, Patriots ties have gone back a long time. And I think what Bill O'Brien is finally starting to show is what an offensive coordinator that's dedicated to work with a quarterback who understands what he's going through can do. Like, Give them some time. It's only week. What? This was the seventh game. Like, yeah, it's going to take six to eight weeks. You got to remember their camp's not as long as it used to be. I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots, at least offensively crawl out of the bottom, you know, quarter of, of the offenses, maybe to the quarter pull, <laughs> you know, just get to be the 26th worst offense. All right, guys. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like that's what I'm just saying. Show some sort of improvement. Yeah. Um, yeah, I it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, Bel- the the Belichick to get to Shula's record, I think he needs like sixty something wins to get there. Um, because the total wins includes playoffs. So I think if you include the playoff wins, Ooh. Belichick only needs like fifty or sixty more that wins to get right. there. Which that would be like five more, you know, ten win seasons. I don't think you're getting there with Mac Jones and with the way this team is constructed right now. Um, They did a report did come out that apparently Belichick signed an extension uh, in the off season this year that had never been reported. So all of the, the hoopla about, is this going to be the end of Belichick? That seems to be uh, less likely now than we first thought. Um, But yeah, we'll see moving forward. All right. One more important game to talk about. And then the other two, we can kind of glance through. Uh, Ravens and Lions. I think this is the most shocking result of the day. If you told me like Patriots bills, the Patriots found a way to win that game with how poorly the bills were playing and it's divisional and it's Belichick and stuff. I wouldn't be super shocked. Um, the Colts one was shocking, but I even said it last week. Like I could kind of see a world, especially after the Browns had that game before. Um, this to me was the most shock shocking outcome of the day. The Ravens absolutely putting on a clinic against the Detroit Lions. Todd Munkin's offense 
finally looking the way that we thought it would with Lamar Jackson. Maybe this is the week where everything comes together. Uh, we were all on the Lions. I had them as one of my locks of the week. Disappointing result, I think, if you're a Lions fan. But also, I think if you're going to be a team that tries to make a run, and I think we all agree the Lions are a, a year away from being like a Super Bowl contender. But if they had found their way into the a- NFC Championship game this year somehow, I wouldn't have been shocked, especially given how you know the rest of the games could have played out. That being said, if you're in that kind of a zone where you're you're a year or two away, or maybe this is your year, you might be able to sneak it back door, kind of like the Bengals did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You're going to have games where you just get punched in the mouth. And that's what happened here. The Baltimore Ravens, after being super inconsistent, their offense being, frankly, in my opinion, disappointing the entire season for what the expectations were coming in. They finally put it together and showed you what they could do today. Lamar had his best game of the season by far, 21 to 27, 357 yards, three touchdowns, no sacks given up. They also put almost 150 on the ground. You had Zay Flowers in the mix. He's a problem. Mark Andrews looking like vintage Mark Andrews. Uh, Odell getting in the mix. Uh, Gus Edwards. We've talked about the Gus bus for like the last three or four years, however long he's been there. Um, But Detroit just could never get anything going in this game. Uh, Jared Goff struggling against the pressure. Amon Ra had a very, very quiet first half. Kind of came on in the second half, and 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 he's become that new like ten catches, a hundred yards. You can book it every single time, kind of receiver. Um, but yeah, this was just a flat out like we're gonna punch you in the mouth, and there's nothing you're gonna be able to do to stop it. And credit to the Ravens because they figured out a way to get it done. They won this game comfortably. Garbage time touchdown by the Lions to try to even it out a little bit. But this was the Ravens like we've arrived moment. Uh, which if anything this year has told you when you have a team that's had a really, really good game and they've cemented themselves is look at us. We're one of the best teams in the league. The next week they end up losing. So we'll see what happens next week. They play the Cardinals next week. So I think they should be safe. Um, but what, what did you think about the Ravens coming out and finally putting it together now with Todd Munkin and Lamar? To your point, this is what we thought they would be. Um, you know, we both had them going very far. I have them in the Super Bowl. I think you had them going pretty far as well. Yeah. Listen, I think with this team, um, it was surprising because the Lions at least kept all the games close and fought hard, and they got pummeled. Like that, I think we all thought that at least talent level, like they could compete with the best, right? Because, I mean, they, they had been. And you're going to have slips like this in the NFL. It's still the NFL. But just the fact that, you know, the Lions, even when they had, you know, they beat the Chiefs early on in the year, right? Like that was crazy. They kept it close against the Seahawks when they lost. And outside of that, it was just until this this game, like, you know, their only loss was within six points in overtime and it was a score, right? So like you can't even do anything about that. And and all of a sudden that now they got blown out. This is the first time this season this has happened. First time in a while because I saw a lot of good stats, right, about them going back to like midway through last year um, with their win-loss record, with their overall points per game. Um, they've been very high up there. So shocked the offense and Baltimore defense, I think, starting to get healthy again, right? They started the year off rough. Um, they still have some guys out, but I, I really like what Baltimore has going. They can do it in so many ways. Um, it's almost like everyone loves Bill Belichick's defense because they, by the halfway, like through this point in the year, they've run all different defenses and now they know how to play, you know, six different defenses. I feel like that's the same thing almost with the Baltimore offense. They could do so many different things 
And uh, it's really exciting to see um, these guys line up. And uh, shocking to say the least, we all were on the Lions uh, for this game, at least for the spread. Uh, kind of crazy. Good for the Ravens, man. Yeah, I mean, I I'll say this: like, I'm still not sold on the Ravens being like a full blown Super Bowl contender yet. But I think they're pretty damn close. Like, I, I had them as coming away with the number one seed in the AFC. You had them going to the Super Bowl. I had them uh, losing to Cincinnati in the playoffs um, so, just because that would be a divisional matchup. And, and you know, you never yeah. know what happens like that in, in a postseason game. The thing that's encouraging here is just the full – again, we were talking about this with the Jags, like complementary football. The Ravens are doing this right now while they're still banged up, particularly on the defensive side. And this is an offense with one of the young, bright offensive coordinators and Ben Johnson in the NFL, a guy who could have gotten a head coaching job last year if he wanted it, decided to come back. Like, this was a we outcoached you, we outplayed you, we dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides, and we did it while we're banged up. I can't, I don't think you can overstate how impressive the interior of that Ravens defense is. It is really difficult to run the football against this Ravens team. They have size in the interior. The pass rushing is getting better. Uh, I mean, because how many sacks did they have? They had five sacks in this game. So again, we're starting to see them get off the ball, but they went up against what is one of the best offensive lines in football in the Detroit Lions, and they dominated. Right. They can't they, they said you're come to our house. We're going to dominate you up and down this game nonstop. Lamar, credit to Lamar, because Lamar just like had a vintage classic Lamar Jackson game. 36 yards on the ground. He had the scramble touchdown and uh he had the scramble touchdown pass, which was a sick play. That held, was he, so he cool. held the ball for almost 10 seconds in the backfield before he found Nelson Aguilar. But then on fourth and one on the goal line, the fake handoff bootleg out to the other side That's where he so was able cool. to wiggle his way in. Super clean play. How do you let how do you forget about Lamar Jackson on that kind of a play? Fourth and one, like you right. always have to make sure you have somebody. I thought this was just like I thought the Lions just got pantsed, you know. And yeah. look, there there are games where you just you just get beat. You just get beat. And I think if you're the Lions, like the talent is getting there, but we've all gotten so hyped up on the Lions, it's it's easy to forget how young this team is, how their best players are also very, very young, how Jared Goff, even though he has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year so far, statistically, he's still going to have a bad game from time to time. Uh, Mm. Defensively, your core pieces are young. We've talked about how impressed we've been from their rookie production, whether it's Brian Branch and Jack Campbell or Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta. I mean, that's four guys in the starting lineup of your starting 22 that, are rookies that you are reliant on to go out there and make plays, especially with no David Montgomery in this game. It just, it happened. I mean, even a Monroe, this is only a Monroe's third season in the NFL, yeah. right? So you have to give a little bit of pause, but the Ravens they just all, flat out dominated them in this game. They did. The Lions also, had, you know, they went for it a few times on fourth, right? Like towards the end, they, they, it maybe looked a little uglier even than it was, but to your point, they didn't make many giant mistakes. It was just the Ravens played sound football. Um, got them off the field on third down. The how this Ravens only had eight third downs. They got fifty percent of them. They only punted twice. This team was just churning, man. Like they didn't even get to set. Like they were nine point one yards per play. Okay, what, what was I forget what we brought up? Whoever's pass per attempt. That's Their not car, like, yeah, yeah. That was five point four nine point one yards per play running and throwing running. That's insane. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was, let's see, 27 dropbacks and 27 carries. So they ran 54 plays in this game. Uh, and they averaged, yeah, they, yeah, I mean, it's just, 
it's an absurd, absurd, almost 500 yards. Oh, yeah, over 500 yards of total offense. Yep. Yeah, just an absolute dominant performance. And that happens sometimes in the NFL. This is going to be a, like next week, Detroit. That's going to be a really, really big moment for them, right? Yep. How do they bounce back? Uh, I can say, who are they playing next week? Actually, let me pull up their schedule real quick. Um, because whoever it is, they're playing uh, the Raiders. Uh, they're playing the Raiders oh, Monday at home, night. Monday night yeah. in Detroit. <laughs> that is a all eyes are on us national TV game. Uh, Ryan Rosillo always has this take, and I'm I'm jealous of it. Um, every win or loss on a primetime stage is magnified. So, like one loss in terms of public perception. So, like one loss on Sunday night football or Monday night football or Thursday night football is really like losing four games in terms of how people talk about you. And one win on Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night football is like two or three wins in the way that people talk about you. So the lights are going to be shining bright. Can they bounce back from this terrible game? Like if this game was a Sunday night football game, the the Lions would be the biggest frauds in the NFL and they're not ready. And Dan Campbell, like fun story, but they're not there yet. They have an opportunity to come out, right the ship against a bad team, uh, and the remaining schedule for the Lions is very easy. It's Raiders, Chargers, Bears, Packers, Saints, Bears, Broncos, Minnesota, and then uh, Dallas and Minnesota again, right? There's like the Chargers could be a goofy game. Um, you know, the Saints could be a goofy game. The, the Vikings, any of the divisional games could be a little weird. But again, you expect the Lions to be better there. And then the Dallas game will be tough on uh, the day before New Year's Eve. So all of those games like are 100% winnable if you're the Lions. They should still end up with a really, really good record, but you got to learn from this and take advantage moving forward because, yeah, ass-kickings are going to happen in the NFL. How you respond to it is significantly more important, I think, in determining like who you are as a football team. Uh, all right, two more games in the 1 o'clock windows, and then we'll take a quick break. Commanders-Giants, I think I'm wrong about the Commanders. I really, I really still do believe in Sam Howell, but he's been sacked 40 times in seven games. I mean, he's That's he's averaging five and a half sacks per game. Uh, there's just nothing you can do with a quarterback who has started. He started eight games in his NFL career. There's nothing you can do when you have a quarterback who's that young, who's learning, when they just can't do anything the last point scored by the giants in this game came with eight and a half minutes left in the second quarter the the scoring summary is the saddest thing ever it's yeah two touchdowns in the second quarter for the giants one in the third by the uh commanders and then that's it yeah it's it's three lines of scoring update that is so bad um That yeah, that's all I think you need to say about this game. Good for Saquon. Good for Terod Taylor, looking better than Daniel so much Jones. better than Daniel Jones. He looked <laughs> so much better than he looked better than Daniel Jones last week when they played the Bills, right? I mean, like, yeah. Uh, and I yeah, it's it's bad. It's a bad time to be a Giants fan. It's bad. I mean, it's not a terrible time. Like, look, if I'm a Commanders fan, the way I look at it is, you already won. You already won the Super Bowl this year. Dan Snyder sold the team. All right. Yeah. yeah. So you're, this you're is playing with house money. I agree. Dawn, dawn of a new day. You got a new organization. I'm going to be in FedEx field this weekend for Eagles commanders, uh, nice. which I'm very excited about. And, when, by the ahead. way, I don't know. I mean, I know you guys have been talking about, they're definitely looking to rebuild a stadium, build a new one. Like that's yeah. coming soon. So yeah. like it's all looking up for, for the Washington football fans. And, and I still think Sam Howell's pretty good. Like, again, we have a guy who's on pace 
to break the re- to have a, a be sacked more times than David Carr, which we no one ever thought that would ever happen in the NFL. No one ever that looked to be like one of those records that would never be broken. The Commanders are giving up five and a half sacks per game. They have great skill guys on the outside. The defensive line has plenty of talent. Sweat and Jonathan. Allen. I don't know if you heard Jonathan Allen's post game press conference stuff. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, we said it's been seven years of this fucking shit. I'm fucking tired of it. I'm, it's something along. I don't have the exact thing, but no, it was, no, for real. That was about it. It was. it was just like, I'm fucking tired of this. Like, this is bullshit. Seven years. Like he is so fed up and good for him. He's one of the best players. Um, he's one of those guys that if he was on the chiefs, he would be talked about all the time. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Or the Eagles. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's that talented. He He's awesome. Also can't believe he's been in the NFL for seven years. Yeah, right. that, that was all. That, I was like, "Shit, dude, you're are, is your second contract almost up?" Fuck. Yeah, I I couldn't believe that when I, saw, I was like, "Oh my god, Jonathan Allen's been in the league for seven. This is his seventh season. Jesus." Um, yeah, it's just rough. But again, Sam Howell, I think there's talent there. Jahan Dotson, look, the drop from Jahan Dotson at the end of that game. I know rough. it wasn't a perfectly thrown ball, but like you got to make that. You got to make that. Do you catch. see his thing? So he, he had a great interview too. His he was basically like, "Yeah, that sucked." Uh, it hurts. I'm going to let it hurt. Like I have to let it hurt because I did it. And like, I need to own it and I need to get better. And the only way I'm going to get better is to never want to feel this shitty again. And like, at least he was just like, yeah, I fucked up. And like, this sucks. And I will make like, cause you're right. It was on him. He was open. Um, not the best throw, but extremely catchable. You got it. But again, when you put up seven points in an NFL game, it's never just down to one play. It is. It's a team effort. And I love Ron Rivera. I think the whole league thinks Ron Rivera is a really, really nice guy. Um, then put him in the league office, but get yeah, him out of get him out he's, of the he's gotta be out spot. You I, got I the, you got the enemy in there. Hopefully, you can invest in the offensive line and things will get better. Um, all right, last of the one o'clock games: Falcons Buccaneers. The most NFC South uh, football game has ever NFC South before. This is like classic two teams that feel like they're in such similar spots. Good defenses, quarterback play, kind of mediocre, not great, but pretty good skill position players. Uh, these two teams are going to be battling out for whoever wins the NFC South. We said beforehand, like, this was going to be a really important game for who ends up winning that division and hosting a playoff game down the line. Uh, right now, the Falcons, I still think, I said coming into the season, I thought the Falcons were the best team in this division. I still think the Falcons are the best team in this division. Desmond Ritter, no interceptions. Did have three fumbles, so no interceptions. He fixed one Wait, problem. He had three? I thought he only had two of them. Three fumbles. Oh, he has three. <laughs> three. No interceptions, though, so we're, we're getting better. Um, he had a rushing touchdown. He had a rushing touchdown, which looked good. Um, B, they also didn't really have Bijan in this game. Supposedly, Dude, what he was, was, yeah, they, he barely They played. said afterwards he was uh, under the weather. I think some reports said it was something about a migraine. Um but he only ended up playing, I think, four or five snaps over the course of the Tyler game, entire game. So it was a lot of Tyler Algier. Uh, it's funny that they're going to Kyle Pitts like when they need to. Like it's like, oh shit, we 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 need a big time play. Throw to him earlier in the game too. You can do that. There's nothing in the in the, in the rule books that say you can't throw to Kyle Pitts so, through the first three quarters of a game. They either throw to him on the opening drive or on the last plays of the game, and it's never it's no in between. So I, you'll like this because I, I'm sure I don't know if you did, but did you stay up and watch like Scott Van Pelt last night after the Eagles game? Do his yeah. like, so his best thing on TV was that Darren Waller catch, which I don't know if you saw it, but like so he one hand catches it right, impressive. Yeah. Behind his back, more impressive. 
the most impressive part of it is you could tell this guy is just a freak athlete and like messes around, obviously plays basketball, plays some other sports too, because he catches the ball and almost does a fake behind the back pass. Look at it. It looks like he's like, whoop, like a fake behind the back pass. And the defender falls for almost like a fake spin move. And then he gets around him. And I was just like, what in the fucking world was that? That looked like he was playing basketball. And, and that's exactly probably what he was doing. Cause he's doing ungodly things. He's so athletic. It's those one of those fake things behind where, like, the pass moves when you're going to the basket and, and basketball yeah. where you go fake behind the back and then you go up. Yeah. Jason Williams did that. used to do that a lot. Yeah. He did that uh, with a football going across the middle. Which did you like, say Darren, why, did you say Darren Waller or did you mean Kyle Pitts? Oh, I'm sorry. Kyle Pitts. I have Darren Waller in the head because yeah. he actually finally did well for the Giants. Uh, no, I know we just yeah. covered him, but yeah, finally actually did something. Yeah. I, Kyle Pitts, he's a freak. I mean, just there's a reason he was drafted in the top five. Like, Get the guy the fucking ball. Like, it's Drake London. Like, a lot of people thought he was the wrong receiver to take in that spot. When he's gotten the ball, he's made some really good plays for them. Um, I understand Arthur Smith. Like, his whole approach to offense is ground and pound, hand the ball off, utilize the run game, work the play action off of it, take your shots when they're there. He's not one of these modern guys, spread the ball out and throw it like – and, and I like that because I think that's the kind of football, that's the complimentary football that this Falcons team has to play where it's like the defense is going to carry us. And then the MVP of the team, Young Waiku, is going to come out and hit a game winner for us. And that's going to be that. And that's exactly what Young Waiku did. And that's exactly why the Falcons went out and won this football game. So, uh, like I said, it's the most NFC South a football game has ever NFC South before. Yes. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. We got five more games to get to, and then we'll get you guys in the way the rest of the week. So hang around. We'll be right back on the other side. All right, we got the afternoon games here, the late afternoon games to talk about. Uh, four kind of, I don't want to say clunkers, um, but games that I guess were never really great games going into it, uh, at least in terms of the NFL landscape. But we did have a couple of fun games. We'll start with the two games that were particularly close, the Steelers and the Rams. Mm-hmm. The Steelers... Starting to look like a competitive football team offensively for the first time. It took them until the fourth quarter to, to, to figure it out. Um, but it seems as though we kind of know what the Steelers formula is right now, which is let your defense carry the way through the first three quarters. And then once you got to start, you know, it's, it's it's Matt Canada proofing this offense, which is like yeah. the defense will carry the way until you get to the fourth quarter. And then once you get to the fourth quarter, it's like, okay, now it's time that we have to start pushing the ball downfield. We have to start finding ways to get into the end zone. Jalen Warren gets in. Najee Harris scores a touchdown. Uh, Kenny Pickett, no turnovers, clean day for him. Uh, as a whole, I thought it was probably the most impressive all-around game that the Steelers have had so far because I do think that this Rams team is pretty solid. Notably, they were without Kyron Williams. I said this earlier, I think last week, and uh, Scotty kind of scoffed at me, but – Kyron Williams, not him not being in the lineup, that's a big deal. He's been really, really good for them. And yes. bringing Royce Freeman and Daryl Henderson Jr. back, I mean, I didn't well, even know Daryl Henderson yeah. was still in the league. It showed uh, this week, to your point. Absolutely. They still had 135 on the ground, um, but they were getting after Matthew Stafford. They were making his life very difficult, 14 of 29. That seems to be kind of the key when you're playing this Rams team, which is that if you can generate enough pressure – then it doesn't matter if it's Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup on the outside. The Puka had another monster day. Eight catches, 154 yards. This dude is just always fucking open. Um, the one catch he had, dude. Along the sideline. Oh, oh my, God. my God. One of the best catch. Like, guys, listening. Any, like, you have to understand. This dude 
will be a guy for the next decade. This is yeah. not a little blip. This guy is going to be good for a very long time. I don't want to say a decade because wide receivers can fall off. Injuries can happen. He's going to get a second contract and be very good on that contract. Yes. So yes. he's, he's like, going to make a lot of money playing in the NFL for a long time. Absolutely. Yes. It's if not you're a fantasy guy. If you're a gambling guy, like this is a guy we want to focus on. He is going to become a young star in the NFL. Do you remember? I think it was Doug Peterson's last year in Philly in 2019. Travis Fulgham. Yeah. Remember Travis Fulgham had that crazy stretch. It was like four straight games. And you're like, who is this guy? He had like six touchdowns. He was averaging like 150 yards per game. He basically was doing what Puka Nakua started off with. And this whole time with Puka Nakua, I'm like, is this just another Travis Fulgham thing? Because after that run, Travis Fulgham didn't even make the team the next year. Yeah. Right. Like he he wasn't even in the NFL a year later. Right. Somehow, Puka, you know, through all of that, he was unbelievable for the Eagles during that stretch and then just completely disappeared and we never heard from him again. There was a moment where I was like, is this Puka Nakua thing going to be Travis Fulgham 2.0? Or is it going to be like Cooper Cup comes back? And then Puka continues to drop off. Nope. Puka Nakua, I'm going to pull up. I don't have the, the the NFL stats in front of me, but I believe he is still top five in receiving yards and top five in receptions through seven weeks in the NFL. He and the Rams, the Rams, I believe, have already had their bye week, too. Uh, no, no, they had they played every week. So the Rams haven't yeah. been on a bye week. But uh, as of right now, Puka Nakua third in receiving yards. He is only... Uh, let's see, quick math, 17 yards behind A.J. Brown. Actually, no, sorry, let me rephrase. He is 59 yards behind A.J. Brown, which either way, I mean, Still. A.J. AJ Brown, we'll get to him in a little bit going on this historic run. He has almost 100 yards more than Stephon Diggs, who is in fourth place behind him. Wow, that's a gap. He is having an unbelievable season. Uh, receiving receptions, he has... 58 receptions so far this season. That is good for first in the NFL. Three ahead of Stephon Diggs, five ahead of Tyreek Hill, and six ahead of A.J. Brown. Uh, third in receiving yards, and he has two touchdowns on the season, uh, averaging 107 yards per game. The dude's been unbelievable. <laughs> um, and, and for as unbelievable as Puka Nakua has been, it still hasn't been quite enough to help carry this Rams team to uh, to too much six. I mean, like we came into the season thinking the Rams are going to be a pretty bad team. We all kind of overlooked Matthew Stafford mm -hmm. coming back because he looked so bad last year. This Rams team is solid. All right, I, good. I, they, I, I'm in a group text with a lot of my friends right out in California. Um, a lot of them are Rams fans. Go to games, have a couple of friends with tickets. The group text was fucking hilarious. Let me tell you Always. that. Um, because they're like before the game, it's like, dude, we win this game. We're, we're going to go, we're going to make the playoffs. Like this is a playoff team. And that's what they're thinking, right? Like, you know, to get to four and three, like to make that step, to have that record and to keep going against a team who right three and two coming in looking decent, but beatable. They couldn't get it done at the end of the game. And listen, there was a penalty tier in this game too, late in the game. Um, and like, there were a couple of plays where it was like, what the hell is going on here? But, I do think that overall, you know, the Steelers win these kind of games. They do what they do. And then they end up, yeah. And they're four and two all of a sudden. And remember we were talking, sitting here thinking like, is this the year they finally don't go even we're still talking about it. Still the team doesn't look that much better than an even team. You know what I mean? 
But yeah. hey, they're four and two. Good for them. And and as of right now, if the playoffs started today, they would miss the playoffs. They'd be the eight seed. The team ahead of them in, as the seven seed is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is three and three. They've played one less game than the Rams. So that is why they have the advantage. I think as the season rolls off, rolls along, I think the Rams are going to end up as the seven seed. Right now, it's Eagles, Niners, Lions, Falcons, Seahawks, Cowboys. I think the Rams are the, the Rams are a better team than the Buccaneers. I understand that the Bucs are playing the NFC South, but so far the Bucs have struggled in NFC South games, which is not going to help them in the long run. The Saints are at three and four. The Commanders are at three and four. The Rams are at three and four. So any of those teams could be a potential, you know, seven seed in that in that playoff run. I think the Rams are the best team of those remaining groups. I think defensively they have some issues. They're not a great defensive team, but they played the Eagles tough. They, they, they didn't make life easy on the Eagles when they played against them. I think the offense is still going to continue to be really good. I think we've moved past the Sean McVay thing because he was so, we were so obsessed with Sean McVay at the beginning of his career. And then he goes to the Super Bowl, loses to Belichick, falls off. They go all in. They make the trade for Stafford. And then they go off and they win the Super Bowl. And it's like, I don't understand why people forget or like why we don't talk about Sean McVay in the same way we talk about Kyle Shanahan. McVay's won a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan's never won a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan's been to one. McVay's been to two. McVay has a ring. Kyle Shanahan doesn't. Kyle Shanahan has never won a Super Bowl in anywhere he's ever been in the NFL. Right. Not to say that. Yeah. Not to say that Kyle Shanahan's not a great. Not he's. He's great. Right? Was he's he a, was he that coach? Was he the twenty eight to three offensive coordinator? He was. He was the offensive yeah, coordinator yeah. for the Falcons. He was the head coach for uh, I think so. I think he's only been to two as a coach. Right. One as a head coach. To your point, that's he's what been you one really as count. a head coach. Yeah. Second as a as an offensive coordinator, and he's taken ownership of the twenty eight to three comeback as well because of how conservative yeah. he got in the second half with the play calling in that game. But again, nobody expected that comeback to happen. Not that we're trying to rehash history here. McVay, Sorry, Falcons fans. Yeah. Exactly. But like at, at its core, right? Football, the most important spots, your head coach and your quarterback. Okay. From there, you're going to look at the offensive line. Head coach compared to Tampa Bay, compared to the commanders, compared to the Saints, McVay is clearly the best head coach out of all of them. Quarterbacks compared to Baker, compared to uh, Sam Howell, compared to Derek Carr, Matt Stafford is clearly the best. I think they have the best weapons out of any of those teams that you could say the commanders, their offensive line is as good, if not better than Tampa Bay, definitely better than the commanders and on the same level as the Saints. Defensively, I think they're as good as any of those teams. I think the Bucs are probably the best out of that group, but I don't think the Rams are a terrible defensive team. I think the Rams are going to end up being a pretty good team when all is said and done. And I think nine and eight, Maybe um, 10 and seven, I think definitely gets you into the playoffs. I think nine and eight will probably get you that seven seed in the postseason. I think the Rams are good enough to go nine and eight. You know, I think they're good enough to, to win enough games to go six and five the rest of the way. I think the Rams can do that. Absolutely. So the Rams. Tough loss. This is a game I think they look back on. There was the controversial call. McVay didn't have any more timeouts. He couldn't challenge the spot. It was a bad spot by the officials. If that goes the other way, the Rams very easily could have come away winning this game. They also very easily could have come away and not won the game. It doesn't matter if the spot was there or not. They also could have lost the game. We don't know, and that's the frustrating part if you're a Rams fan. But after week one, when the Steelers got shit-pumped by the San Francisco 49ers, I felt so dumb about my Steelers take. Right, I had the Steelers <laughs> making the postseason. I had them as the seventh seed. Nobody else was with me. I, 
They looked awful in that first game. And I just sit there thinking to myself, God damn it. Why did I do that? I changed my thoughts. I, I talked myself into the Steelers. And now the Steelers are four and two. They are uh, a game back behind uh, the Ravens in the AFC North, but the Ravens have played one more game than the Steelers. They've already beaten the Ravens once this year. Mm-hmm. The Steelers are going to make the playoffs. They're going to finish above 500. The streaks are going to continue because that's just what Mike Tomlin does. He finds ways to win games. The fact that we didn't think to bet on the Steelers and to pick the Steelers in this game with them coming off of a bye, 12 and four lifetime after the bye, the Steelers are with Mike Tomlin. How the hell is 12 and four against the spread? How the hell did we not think to do that? Uh, And then I think whenever he's an underdog, He's like 50 and 24 or 56 and 32 or something like that um, against the spread when he's an underdog. Why we don't just bet Mike Tomlin every time they're an underdog. I don't, I don't know why we keep doing this to ourselves. We need to just write that rule down, put it on a post-it note and put it on your laptop or put it on your computer screen on the frame on the outside of it. Tomlin dog equals dog win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Tomlin plus a draw a little picture of a dog equals money sides. Just do yes. that every single time. And it's going to work out for you. Uh, Kenny Pickett controlling the ball, not turning it over. Their defense is really good. I think as soon as they're forced to actually have to start pushing the ball downfield, that's when we see the offense get better. Uh, he was really good in that fourth quarter. I, I Dante Johnson back. He got six targets. George Pickens, five catches, 107 yards. Deontay Johnson, five catches, 79 yards. That's going to open up a lot in this offense that they've been struggling not having Deontay Johnson to this point in the season. I think the Steelers are a playoff team. I really do. I think that defense is so good. I think my Tomlin is such a good coach, and I think they're going to continue to win weird, ugly games, and it's going to get them to the postseason. It's probably going to be a first-round exit in the postseason, but it's going to get them there. So I'm rolling with the Steelers. Good for them. Big win in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on. The other game that was close, your Denver Broncos. Big time game winning kick. Mm-hmm. They beat the Green Bay Packers. Jordan Love, not the guy, probably. Doesn't look good. Um, I saw a stat about Jordan Rogers or Jordan Love, rather. I said Jordan Rogers, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, sure he did. That's Aaron Rodgers. Rogers. That's I was gonna yeah. say that's that's Aaron Rodgers' brother who he uh, Aaron Rodgers no longer talks to, but you can see Is calling SEC Network games. Uh yes. He's the one that won the best. It's also a, a huge douche. That's right. Yeah. Uh run runs didn't in the watch family, that I guess. Episode. I didn't see that uh, season. Sorry. Yeah, missed missed that charge. He is quarterback at Vanderbilt and then okay. uh is now Cutler, an SEC. Uh, he does SEC network games, I believe, doing color commentary. And he also is like a quarterback's coach. He's like one of those QB gurus, Jordan yeah, Rogers. Okay. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys. Um, but yeah, so they find a way. Um, Jordan Love, what I was trying to say, Jordan Love in his first two games was like six touchdowns, no interceptions, two and oh. And since then, I believe he has zero touchdowns and eight interceptions. So uh not a great Ooh. start. Uh, after or not a great finish after the, uh, the the hot start there from the Packers, Matt Lafleur struggling with a young quarterback. This is more of kind of what we thought we would see out of the Packers. I know there was some frisky stuff, especially at the beginning of the season. They come off two and zero. You think, oh, all right, you know they get Aaron Jones back in this game. This offense is struggling. Jordan Love is struggling to see the field. Uh, I think the Packers are in a little bit of trouble, but nonetheless, your Broncos they find a way to win. Congrats on the dub. 
it's been a it's been a few weeks. You guys, mm-hmm. you needed this yep. to just restore the faith. Um, but also, it's it's a win. Hey, wins a win. I'm not even going to downgrade it. A wins a win. How are you feeling? Thanks, man. No, good. Uh, to your point, obviously, you do start thinking like, should we have won this game? Um, but I do think that it's early enough in the season. Like, I'm still rooting for us. I was still super excited. You know, that thought doesn't really enter your head till like afterwards. But I think the crazy thing here is we have a. Uh, this is what the offense we should have probably had, you know, like that we've talked about where we have a couple of receivers that are getting separation. We finally do in this game. We're running the ball pretty well. Um, it wasn't the best offensive performance by any means, but we had a lot of field goals. We drove the ball. Well, we need to work on the red zone offense for sure. Um, that's, that's another weak point, but what isn't a weak point? I'm just looking for positives here. All right. That's where we're at as Broncos fans. And I'll tell you what, the one thing I learned about the green Bay Packers, they have one of my favorite named players I've seen in a long time. Um, Don Tavon Wicks, Don Tavion, Don Tavion Wicks. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, incredible. Threw a pass, had a rush, caught a ball. Rare to do all, complete a pass and do all of those things. Like that's that's a rare group in the NFL. Not a lot of Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And he probably has the best name out of all of them. So really, um, that's the best thing I can say about that Packers offense right now. Um. I don't know. Is this the weirdest year where, like, I have no idea what the Broncos' defense is? Like, are they good? Because they look good. But are they not good? Because they get 70 fucking points. So, like, they're not good. But are they also good? You know what I mean? And it's been very weird to go back and forth on this. Okay, I'm not trying to interrupt. What? The wow. Eagles The Eagles traded for Kevin Byard. No. Safe, safety Why? from the fucking Titans. Let's go. The Titans are helping us out again. Let's Wait, are you serious? Let's go. What did they give up? And they and they sent Terrell Edmonds. Thank God. Get Terrell Edmonds out of my fucking life. The best thing he did as an Eagle was the clips of him and DeAndre Swift at the NLCS game in Philly last week. Let's go. The Phillies traded uh, – sorry, the Eagles traded Terrell Edmonds and two draft picks, a fifth and sixth round in 2024 for Kevin Byard. Two-time All-Pro. Two time all pro seven tackles, a fumble recovery in the six games this year. He's 30 years old. Two time all picks. pro, God. born in Philadelphia, and named his son after Brian Dawkins. Wait, no way. Let's go. He needs his kid to Brian go. Dawkins. Wow. That's let's a, hey, go. Come on. That, that's a huge move. After beating that team, too, oh. after beating Miami the way you did. There were reports that came out last week that the Eagles were interested in like looking and I was like, Buda Baker, Kevin Byard, Justin Simmons. Give me one of those three guys, Howie. Find a way to get it done. To sure up the back end of that when Blankenship comes back, he's been really, really good. He's been awesome since playing last year, yeah. Terrell Edmonds has been so bad, so unbelievably nice guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. He's been so fucking bad. And now... You're bringing Kevin Byard, arguably the best safety in the NFL. At least if he's not the best, he's on the short list. Coming to Philly. Let's go. Oh, my God. You know what's funny? It's like I saw a bunch of Twitter notifications pop up on my phone as we were recording. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'll check them afterwards. And I was like, you know, if there's a bunch that usually means that something happened. Oh, my God. Let's fucking go. Howie Roseman. Wow. Howie fucking Roseman. Unbelievable. 
that is a massive deal believable that secondary God i don't damn. know who howie roseman has blackmail on in the tennessee titans organization but let's go well never give it up never give it up never give well, it up okay I, should we well, just jump well, into that game because i'm well, done with the broncos like that's kind of well, it i know say, we still have the chiefs credit credit to the broncos it's a There's big not win, much else, though. It's a big win, but it wasn't incredible. It just feels Let's good. Not make it more than it is. Yeah, it feels good to get a win, right? In, yep. in a season where everything's going wrong, it feels good to get a win. Um, Cardinal Seahawks. We'll do these last two games, and then we'll hop into the Sunday night game. We'll do that last. Uh, Cardinal Seahawks. Seahawks are a good football team. They lost the turnover battle three nothing in this game, and they still won by ten points. That says a lot about this team. I think that the, the improvement that this defense has had this year. The young talent that they added, like we knew that they were solid last year, but could they build on that in year number two? They have. It's a very, very similar progression to what we've seen out of the Detroit Lions, right? Yep. The Lions, veteran quarterback coming in in a second shot, playing really, really good football. You have plenty of weapons on the outside. You have a coach that everybody, a rah-rah coach that everybody likes. You have a young defense, but with a ton of talent. Devin Witherspoon is this year's Sauce Gardner. I mean, he's been one of the top five cornerbacks in football this season. He's been phenomenal. He's continued. He got robbed of an interception because of a a penalty in this game, but he's all over the field. I love the physicality he plays with too. It's super fun. Uh, DK Metcalf gets knocked out of this game, but similar to Puka Nakua, Jake Bobo deserves some credit here too, because this kid, back-to-back games with a touchdown catch, he is cementing himself. There is an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position in Seattle between DK, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and this kid, Jake Bobo. They have plenty of weapons. Obviously, we know Noah Fant's been good there, too. Kenneth Walker continuing to be uh, a, just a really consistently productive player in the NFL. Um, 26 carries, 105 yards. He was a guy, you know, in your fantasy league that was around in like the third and fourth rounds because no one, everyone thought Zach Charbonnet was going to take over, uh, you know, reps from him. If we learned anything from Pete Carroll over the years, it's that he likes one guy. He likes a guy that you trust. And as long as that guy's healthy, he's going to keep feeding him the ball. And then if you have other guys to break him out to give that guy a blow, he'll do that. Kenneth Walker, 100-yard game, consistent player. Gino, as long as he's not turning the ball over, you're doing well, but this was Jackson Smith and Jigba's best game of the day. Um, and again, no DK, no problem. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jake Bobo, Tyler Lockett, they got you covered. Uh, and the defense is playing really, really good. The, the Cardinals on the other side, look, it's been – thank you for beating the Cowboys. I'll say that. Thank you, <laughs> Jonathan Gannon, and thank you, Arizona Cardinals, for beating the Cowboys. That's all I needed from you. You can go fuck off the rest of the year, Jonathan Gannon. Kyler Murray got activated off the pup list. I don't know if we're going to see him anytime no, soon. No, there's no way, dude. There's a new Call of Duty coming out in like a couple weeks. Okay? That's true. There's You're right. no chance. Good like point. everyone needs to just reset on that. Yeah. If he plays, he's throwing picks, bro. I, and it's just continually, it's just everything with Kyler Murray is just more bad stuff. It's just like there hasn't been any sort of positive reports about Kyler Murray's way ahead of schedule in his rehab and is looking strong and healthy. Like there's none of that. It's just. It's the same crap we're used to. Seahawks are a good football team. They're going to continue to win football yeah. games. I, I I had them as the fi- the fifth seed in the postseason. I think as of right now, I think they're going to end up as the number one wild card team. Um, they look more complete than Dallas has looked on both sides of the ball. I think Dallas's defense is better, but I think Seattle's a better offensive team, and I think they've been better better all the way around. Um, so yeah, shout out to the Seahawks. Uh, and last game from the afternoon slate: Chargers Chiefs. 
disappointing game because that first half was electric. Like that first half was so fun. And you're thinking like, man, 20, it's 24, 17 at halftime. The overs hundred percent going to be going to hit. Like it's going to be an all time finish seven points. The rest of the game from the Kansas on both sides, seven points, the rest of the game, the Chiefs score touchdown late to kind of put this game away in the second half. Um, I'm going to continue with my Justin Herbert thing here. I mean, look, Justin Herbert isn't the reason they lost this game, but he also didn't any didn't do anything to help win them this game, and he missed multiple throws. I mean, yeah. Keenan Allen wide picks. open, Keenan, Keenan Allen wide open on a on a little wheel route mm-hmm. and overthrew him in the end zone by about five yards. Like I, it was I a like, bad overthrow. It was, and and those plays are consistent in every single Justin Herbert game, but the nerds. And the nerds were in full force again on Sunday, pulling out weird statistics that are, well, Justin Herbert's actually this and this passing under pressure when the when the moon is at this time in the month and there's yeah, 17,000 people. Venus is in retrograde, bro. He's great right now. Just, yeah. <laughs> yes. But was it Mercury's in Gatorade? Yeah. When Mercury's yeah. in Gatorade, you know, it's, that's when he's doing his best. It's, I like Justin Herbert. He's a really, really talented kid. I, I love watching him play the position. If you're if you're not watching the game with your eyes and seeing the, the mistakes he's making and not holding him accountable just because he's got these really advanced nerd stats that make him seem way better than he is, his nerd stats aren't translating to wins, which at the end of the day, not to be old school football guy too hard, the only stat that really matters at the end of the day, quoting Jalen Hurts, is fucking winning the damn football game. And the Chargers don't do that enough for how great, and I'm saying great, Justin Herbert is. He is great. He misses throws consistently in big moments throughout the game that could change the way that the games end up rolling out. Because of that, they sell for field goals and they put their defense in a tough spot. It's the same old thing. And and the nerds are going to continue to talk about how incredible he is. He's amazing. He's still missing throws regularly, and and that's going to hurt them. Um, The Chiefs on the other side, again, this is what I was saying last week, right? The Chiefs with the top five defense are fucking terrifying because eventually now get McCole Hardman. The second the McCole Hardman trade went in, I went in our league in fantasy and picked him up because he's now the number one wide receiver option for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? 128 yards in the first half for Travis Kelsey. Kelsey comes out and has an, a monster day. Mahomes, 424 yards passing. He had a monster day with four touchdowns. This is the first time the Chiefs or the Chiefs offense has looked like the Chiefs offense outside of yeah. that one Bears game all season. And now you're going to see the Chiefs offense with a really, really, really fucking good defense. And they're going to end up being the best team in football. And they're probably going to end up winning the Super Bowl again, despite all of the chaos and all of the parody and all the stuff we've talked about enjoying it all season. The Chiefs, the back, the Super Bowl champs, the team that's gone to the Super Bowl four out of the last five years or three of the last four years, whatever it is, they're just going to continue to do it. And we never, we're not talking about them. They're not getting the front storyline on ESPN right now because it's not as much fun. The Chiefs are so fucking good and Mahomes is so fucking good. And they're just going to continue to find ways and they're going to win the Super Bowl again. And it's going to be the same story because Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey are fucking incredible. And they have a top five defense now. Yeah. All of that combined with, to your point, like Mahomes as a leader is the best in the NFL in terms of a quarterback. Travis Kelsey is probably, they have the best connection you could probably say out of any two players in the NFL, statistically for sure, that's active, right? So like they are at this point 
doing stuff that not many other people can do. 12 receptions for 179 yards and a touchdown for Travis Kelsey. That is an insane stat line for a tight end. That's insane for like I saw I don't know exactly what it is because obviously Tony Gonzalez was there like forever and, and all this stuff and went to Atlanta. But Travis Kelsey has got to be getting close in terms of like franchise yards to to him, which is crazy because he also again had a great couple of years in Atlanta. And Tony Gonzalez is one of the top receivers in the NFL history in terms of yardage, catches, everything, top five. And like Travis Kelsey is getting close to that, which I didn't think for a tight end would ever be caught. Dude, Travis Kelsey's on historic paces and he's only getting better, it seems like, with Mahomes like throughout this whole year. I am terrified to be this. I mean, the division's gone. I don't know if any other AFC team, like as much to your point, parodies, we said, look at all this AFC quarterbacks and how great every AFC team is and how great I even think the Ravens are. Man, I don't know if another team can even compete with the Chiefs when they play like this. And that's what's scary. Yeah, there's not the AFC. No, it's 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 outrageous. It's outrageous. Right now, they are third in the NFL in, in points per game given up they're averaging 15 points a game given up defensively on the season if them and the dolphins i think have to hit each other in the season like in the postseason i mean for just to make it feel like what they should what it should almost you know what i mean like that should happen we need to see that game i I think it would be electric um but interesting note here is i'm looking at like the league statistics right now there are 16 teams in the nfl who are averaging less than 21 points per game given up defensively by the way, real quick, sorry, Dolphins Chiefs. I forgot that's the um, in two weeks. That's the Germany game at nine yes. thirty in the morning. Yes, it's going to anyway. be. We're going to say we're going to see that game in uh, in a couple weeks because it's it's yeah. not this week. That's right? it's the following well, week. No, and that's why I knew I knew I wanted to say postseason because I wrote down it was a weird time. I thought it was like a Thursday. No, it's the they're in Germany at yeah. nine thirty in the morning here. Yeah. Okay. Um, but again, talking yeah, about sorry. just how offenses across the board are kind of down this year. Mm-hmm. More like half half the league is giving up twenty one points or less defensively. I mean that's that's impressive. Yeah, you know, like especially in the modern day NFL. Like if you told me, like you know, hey, like the the Jaguar, like all these teams, like the Texans are giving up eighteen point eight points per game. You know, that's that's a pretty impressive number to have that many teams giving up that few of points with the amount of offensive talent that we have in the NFL right now. Um. Yeah, the Chiefs are yeah. fucking amazing because that's what they do. And yeah, we said the division was set before the season even started. Like we we knew that. Like it's just and that's what that's what I said to you guys last year, right? When Tyreek Hill got traded, it's like it doesn't matter. Till Mahomes and Andy Reid aren't Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're not there together. I'm going to continue to pick the Chiefs, and they continue to just do what they do because Mahomes is that good. Um, the last thing I'll say in this game, I don't think I've ever been more disgusted and nauseated watching a football game than watching Brittany Mahomes and Taylor Swift do a secret handshake after the Chiefs scored a touchdown in this game. I was really disappointed too. It was disgustingly fake. It was so bad. It was so cringy. It was so cringy. I I agree it was cringy. What I hated about it was just get Brittany Mahomes away from from I mean Brittany Mahomes is okay, I guess. Like that's fine. Hot take Jackson Mahomes. Jackson Mahomes behind her, I was scared as fuck. How does Agreed. her security let him that close? That is fucking not good. Isn't he fucking being investigated right now for like making out with a bartender that didn't want it forcefully? Yeah. How? 
why is he in the bo- like uh, anyway sorry go ahead what was your hot, take hot take taylor swift and Brittany mahomes are the same person Dude, you'll say that. You'll say that. They're the exact same. No, you'll say that. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. No, you know I'm right. No, you're not right. Very different. No. They are both the girls that were absolute batshit crazy and weird in high school. And there's a lot of batshit weird crazy girls in high school. There's a wide range of those. That's that's a wide group you actually said. 100%. They're the exact same person. Yes. 100%. They were both the girls that like drank strawberry milk in high school. Like they did the weird shit. (laughs) Uh, no no very different i think no i i no do offense if anyone like strawberry milk but together it's just exact oh. same person they were the exact oh, same person you all right say that. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's finish it up here birds 31 dolphins 17 the eagles hold the number one scoring offense in football to just 10 points the dolphins jeff course, you called it you called it Again, I don't like to toot my own horn too much on this pod. You know, I'm a pretty humble guy, so I don't want to take too much of a victory lap here. Um, I there could was, not have there been, was panic in your voice. There was I, panic in your voice discussing this game last I, week. I could not be more wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. I I've gotten a lot of things wrong on this podcast over the years. I have. I don't think I could have possibly been more wrong. Than my, than my takes in this game. However, I'll say this in defense of myself. I don't think I was that misguided when I was making the predictions because I didn't know as many people who were injured in the Jets game were going to end up playing in this game. I didn't know I, if Jalen Carter was going to play. I didn't think Lane Johnson was going to play. I didn't think Darius Slay was going to play, right? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't even think Terrell Edmonds was going to play. And I was like, Please give me Terrell Edmonds at the very least. That's how desperate now I was. Kevin Byard, and now we have Kevin Byard, which I mean, look, the two new coordinators come in, Brian Johnson. I still don't think had a great day yesterday. I think Jalen Jalen is is still on this little roller coaster up and down. He still doesn't look perfectly comfortable. Something still isn't quite there. And I'm hoping by season's end, him and Brian Johnson, it clicks, right? They feel like it the flow of the game ends up matching up to what we expect it to be from what we saw last year. I don't think it'll ever be exactly what it was last year because Shane Steichen is just that good of a play caller and has that good of a pulse on where the game flow is going and where to throw the ball and all that kind of stuff and knowing what the defense's weaknesses are and hammering that. I think Brian Johnson's getting better. Sean Desai, the new defense coordinator for the Eagles, take a fucking bow, sir. My goodness, what an unbelievable job calling this game defensively. I I am not of the belief that the Dolphins are as fraudulent as a lot of people are saying today. A lot of people are saying today, we'll look at the teams that the Dolphins' wins are against, which I get it, combined really, really bad records, versus look at the team, the games that they've lost against the Bills and the Eagles. And the Bills were a lot healthier when they played, and the Bills blew them out of the water. The Eagles, obviously, good team. They blew the Dolphins out of the water in this game. I don't think the Dolphins are a fraudulent team. I think that offense is that good. I think having a really, 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 really good game plan going into this game defensively is why the Eagles won this football game. And that being said, this Dolphins offense is so good that they converted a third and 18 at the end of the first half that came down. Yeah, third and, and 13 too. They had a couple of those and, long ones, bro. Like they, this offense is 
terrifying. You know better than anybody, Vito. It is terrifying. Seventy to... points on us. You you held them to seven times. What a Ten seventh points. of the points. Yeah, that we yeah. did a seventh. But the biggest thing, and this is why I give so much credit to Sean Desai, and and you also have to give credit to Howie Roseman because of where he has built this team. Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Milton Williams. The three of them, their run grades in this game were off the charts. The Eagles held the Dolphins to negative rushing yards in the first quarter. It was the lowest amount of rushing yards in an NFL game in a quarter since 2000. I think it was 2009. Man, what they, they did so, so against like, the, number Dolphins, one, the number yeah. one rushing attack in football, they absolutely dominated the run game and the Dolphins had injuries, right? They lose Isaiah win early in this game. That was a huge loss for them, but it almost didn't matter because it, Nicobe Dean, Zach Cunningham played really, really well in this game and run defense. The interior defensive line was outstanding. Hassan Reddick, since taking the cast off and, and fully healing up from his injury in training camp, has been an absolute monster. But it was the coaching. It was the little things. It was, we know that the Dolphins are going to do this pre-snap motion and they're going to make it really, really confusing. And they're going to try to get you out of position, but don't bite on those fakes. Be in the right spot because when they're sending this guy in motion, it's going to come back. And it felt like every time the Dolphins were running one of those weird motion plays where Tua fakes the handoff, whips it around to the other side, reads the mesh, pulls it back last second to roll out to his right and try to find somebody. There was an Eagles player right there in that moment. And that is not just really, really great football play from great players. That is a direct correlation to really, really good game planning. And for them to do that against – the best offense that the Eagles have played this this year for the defense to be that good and that dominant against this offense, even though they're banged up, it's still Tyreek Hill. You still saw him on the touchdown catch, right? He can just burn by guys. He still hit an off day. He had like 11 catches for 88 yards and a touchdown. And that's a bad day. If you told me going into the game, Tyreek Hill's going to have 11 catches for 88 yards and a touchdown. I'd say I I will take that 20 times out of 20 and twice on Sunday, whatever the expression (laughs) is, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. I was so impressed by the defensive play calling. And again, that's with Terrell Edmonds and rookie Sidney Brown playing safety in this game. Now you're going to have Reed Blankenship coming back and you're getting Kevin Byard into the mix, which is just going to completely change the way that this defense is set up. It's going to make them so significantly better than even than I thought that they could be. The defensive line's incredible. Nicobe Dean coming back. We've seen it in back-to-back weeks, the impact it's having on the run game. He's obviously a liability in the pass coverage game, but if he's the green dot in the center of your defense and you know for the most part he's only going to have to cover a running back here or there out of the backfield, I'm okay with that. They made big plays when they need it. Darius Slay with the huge interception in the uh, second half. Obviously, the defensive line getting big-time pressures and big sacks in the second half when they needed it. The offense, again, Jalen got a little banged up in the first half. The opening drive was really good. They stalled out in the red zone, which has been the number one issue for the Eagles so far this season. They got into the red zone four more times after that, after going 0-1 on the opening drive in the red zone. Four for four. Four touchdowns. They found a way to get it done, man. They found their way yeah. into the into the end zone. The balls on Sirianni to go for the tush push, the brotherly shove, the cheek sneak, whatever you want to call it, going for it on your own 25-yard line after he sent the punt unit out there. And Jason Kelsey had a great quote that they asked him about, like, well, what was going on in that moment? And he was like, we all came off the field, and Sirianni had this moment when he stopped and said, what am I doing? This is going to work. Go back out there and call the timeout. 
got the offense on the field, then had to do it again after they got that first down. And they hurried up. They didn't even yep. wait for the call. Jalen no. was like, get the fuck ready. They walked up. The second up. time. Yep. Everyone's looking around and the defense it. like, fuck. And they just walked up with like men shoulder to shoulder, got down, and it was over. There's oh. nothing, you, nothing you can do. And the NFL tried to take one away from them earlier with the, the phantom offsides where they thought Jason Kelsey's left hand yeah, was, was, someone Landon, else's? was Landon Dickerson's. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's just Jason Kelsey's hand. Landon Dickerson's not wearing gloves. And then they it was offsetting penalties, so they came back and did it again. It worked that time too. People crying about the tush bush, shut the fuck up. You're a fucking loser. I don't want to hear your your entertainment on it. If you don't think that's a valid football play when everyone else in the football world is trying to do it on a weekly basis and no one else can do it, it's not a cheat play. It's not cheating. It's they're better than you at a play that is legal. Tom Brady did it for decades in the NFL. It mm-hmm. is there's nothing wrong with what the Eagles and Tom are Brady, doing. Tom Brady was good. Jalen is great. The fact that you have a guy who plays quarterback who can squat 600 pounds is what makes this play and what makes it so unique that no one else can do it, right? You yeah. don't have someone that can do it. If Derrick Henry could take a snap, yeah, maybe. If Saquon took a snap and had people behind him, same deal. The, those are the only two. I mean, I'm sure there's a few more in the NFL, but those are the guys who famously like squat 600 and can go off. Yeah. There's not that many of them. And the fact that he plays quarterback is why it's so crazy because he's he has so many – quarterback exchanges under his belt that's why you don't see a lot of derrick henry under center in this situation yeah it's incredible to see obviously lane johnson is a huge part of it too he always goes to that left side goddard 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 is the secret weapon in that play but the ultimate secret weapon and this is this was the same thing that new england did it wasn't brady it wasn't even jason kelsey it's not even the the offensive line obviously helps a lot it was rich skarnecchia and jeff stoutland the best offensive line coach for the 20 years leading up to his run with the Patriots. And then the best offensive line coach for the last 10 years with the Philadelphia Eagles, they coach it. There are little details and nuances in this play. People look at it and they, and I was, somebody called that play. I forget who it was. might've been Kyle long. Somebody called that play organized mass. Yeah. But as, but as, which is great, right? It's like a scrum. It's, and I know it's not a scrum and I know the rugby comparison, I watched a lot of rugby, uh, especially the last couple months. Yeah. What I mean by that is it's beautiful because it's practiced. You hook up and you move at once. That force at once, all of you together, is what makes every – there's no hole to fall into. No. And, 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 and Yeah. And see, and that's the thing there. It's everyone glams on to the mass part of that, and it's just guys pushing each other, and they're just – there is organization. There is detail. Yeah. There is nuance involved in that play. That is coached and practiced. And that is why the Eagles are that much better at it than everybody else. It's not just get up to the line and try to push the other guys. It is technique. It is skill. It is talent. It is size and mass and strength. But it's the organized part that goes over people's heads. Um, But A.J. Brown, five consecutive gains of 125 yards and more matches. Calvin Johnson is the only player in NFL history to ever do that. Uh, Devontae Smith having a bit of a bounce back game here. Dallas Goddard, after a slow start, has been awesome the last few weeks. DeAndre Swift, Kenny Gainwell getting into the end zone there. Great spin mm-hmm. move to get in the end oh. zone by, by Kenny uh, Gainwell. But the Eagles go on these drives, and this is the thing that Eagles the Eagles play every game in the regular season, especially like in the third and fourth quarters, and the third and a lot of the fourth quarter. They play those games like it's, 
a January playoff game, which is we're going to run the clock out. We're going to have a long seven, eight, nine-minute drive. We're going to keep the ball away from you, and we're going to go down and we're going to score. And then when you get the ball back, when the Dolphins got the ball back after that last drive, it was a two-touchdown game with four and a half minutes left in the game. There's nothing you can do at that point. Not to say the game's over. We've seen crazy stuff happen. But it is so deflating. And an offense like the Dolphins that can be so dangerous, you want to keep them off the field as much as possible. Because if you looked at the first half, right, the Eagles dominated that first half. But at halftime, it was a one-score game. It was 17-10 to 10 going into halftime, right? And that's because the Dolphins went down and scored in a blink of an eye before halftime. Even though the Eagles' time of possession was way stacked onto their side in the first half of that game, the Dolphins only need two minutes, if not less than that, to go down the field and score. And that's exactly what they did. So being able to control the ball, getting turnovers, which the Eagles hadn't forced a turnover in the last two weeks, so getting a turnover again to get back on the right side of that was really important. Uh, Darius Slay with the interception was big. Generating the pressure because that interception from Slay, it was a great play and it was also a bit of a bust. It was a busted route. It saved a, I think it saved a pass interference call too. I, I think it did as well. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those plays that people are looking at and say, well, it was a bust, not a busted coverage, but a, a yeah, messed up route concept, route. right? Yep. Where Jalen Waddle. Uh, tried to do a double move to work back to the corner of the end zone. So Darius Slay's trailing him, sees the ball in the air, makes a move on it. What caused the interception, whether the ball was meant for Waddle or for Mostert, or if Waddle had ran his route correctly, the ball was underthrown. And the ball was underthrown because Tua had four Philadelphia Eagles and Kelly Green jerseys in his lap, and he was yeah. falling, falling back off platform, trying to do one of his layered throws that Tua does better than anybody. And he that ball wouldn't have been completed. And you're right. It probably would have been a pass interference call on Zach Cunningham, but he vastly underthrew that ball. He threw about five yards short of where Mostert was. And that was because the Eagles pass rush pass rush got in the way and, and forced to off balance and forced him to make a bad throw. So the Eagles defense, they got help. They drastically needed in the back end of that secondary. Now we have a secondary where Reed Blankenship, who's was playing really, really good football. He comes back. You're going to have Kevin Byard, who's arguably the best safety in the league, with two legit number one cornerbacks. Hopefully you get Roby back, who he had been good when they brought him in off the street. The Eagles got something cooking here, and they've addressed the biggest problem on that defense, which is absolutely had been Terrell Edmonds. And you're not getting a guy who's just going to improve from where Terrell Edmonds was, which was low. You're getting somebody who's going to take it even better and push the Eagles into another level. I think this makes the Eagles an apps. I mean, already the Eagles were a contender, but to do what they did with the roster that they had out on the field defensively against this Dolphins team, offensively, Jalen, the, the deep pass to A.J. Brown on third down when he got crushed by Van Ginkle and laid it out perfectly in between two guys while he was banged up was just an unbelievable throw. The first touchdown pass to uh, A.J. Brown where he scrambled on fourth down and he broke in play, finds A.J. Brown, I mean, that's the stuff that reminds yeah. me of last year. And there's going to be games where they can dominate on the on the ground. They have a really, really tough stretch coming up. I'm glad they brought Kevin Byard in here. Let's add another win against the Commanders next week before we have to take the bye, and then we're going to get Kansas City and San Francisco and Buffalo and all these tough games in front of us. That's like – this was a big game. This was a big win. I know it's only week seven, but this was a really important win coming off of that Jets game. 
And the Kelly Greens looked so fucking good. So good. And shout out to Grant getting in there a lot, actually. There was a couple yeah. of plays. I don't know if you caught on one of the big passes to AJ. Uh, he ended up there was a double tight end block on the right side because there was a blitz. And it was he was actually on the inside. And I think yeah, it must have been guard was on the left. Anyway, him and Stoll were on the right. And Stoll, he gets around Stoll and Grant gets out there just enough, hits him, chips him just enough to get Jalen off. It was like a 40-yard throw. It was crazy. A lot of good running. That team, to your point, it this was to me. I've, again, I watched them a lot, obviously, last year and this year. I don't know what you think, Jeff. I'm gonna say a statement. Tell me if you agree or disagree with me. This is the most impressive win the Eagles have had in the regular season between this year and last year. Hmm. Do you think there's another regular season game last year that was more impressive than this? Is it, I guess what I'm asking. That's interesting. I don't think so. I mean, there are games where like the Eagles played a more complete game, but mm-hmm. when you include the, the dominance of this game against the offense that they were playing, I don't know if there is. Yeah. I don't know if there is. That's what I was asking myself. And I looked, uh, um, it's just something to think about because what I'm trying to get to obviously is this team, even after a Super Bowl loss, which is very difficult to come back, uh, very hard to do. They were still, uh, you know, they're still doing here. The lions game week one last year, uh, the Steelers game was really impressive, but again, the Steelers weren't like a juggernaut. Um, right. The Packers game last year when Jalen had 150 and and Miles had 150 on the ground, that was a really was impressive cool. win. But that was again, still a seven but, point game. Yeah, they only won by yeah, seven. Yeah, and Rodgers and Rodgers got knocked out of that game early, and it was a seven point game, but it was never that close. There was that garbage right. time touchdown. Jordan Love threw to Christian Watson. Jordan Love um, to Watson. I mean, if you're saying regular season, yeah. I mean, you would you could probably say the Niners game in the playoffs, but again, exactly. if, we're just, if we're just sticking to regular season, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is. I think it is the most impressive one that they've had so far um, mm-hmm. in the last two years. Um, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. Again, there's been more complete games that they've played. The Tennessee game comes to mind. The, Pitts, the Steelers game last year comes to mind. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that was the most complete game. And especially against good opponent. Like that's that's just it's the most impressive win. I agree. Me. I agree. And now we get to add uh Kevin Byard. Um, we'll leave you guys <laughs> with this. God, I can't believe they did that. Let's fucking I can't believe go. they did that on the um, I love that. What a moment. We are we are now just about 20 minutes away from first pitch of game f- uh six of the World Series. So yes. we will sign off here in a second. Go fightings. But that leads me into the hardest question that I saw on social media last night, which is if you had, you have to pick one gun to your head. You have to pick one, the Eagles, Kelly greens or the Phillies light blue and maroon jerseys. Eagles, Kelly greens. To me, it's a no brainer. That's a no, the Kelly greens, dude, the Kelly greens are one of the best jerseys of all time sports. In my opinion, I say the exact same thing about the baby blues that the Phillies wear with the maroon. And I just don't think the maroon is, is as good. The maroon I, throws it for me. See, that's where you're wrong because that's why <laughs> I actually picked the Phillies baby blue jerseys. 
with the maroon. And, oh, and, you did it. And this is again, this is like this is as so I love them both so much. So I'm not criticizing the Kelly Greens in any way. They were incredible last night and they looked amazing. And I loved every second of it. The reason because we've been waiting for this for like two years, like it's been two years since they announced it was coming back. The reason I'm leaning towards the Phillies is because the maroon for the Kelly greens. It's like the Kelly greens. I don't love the silver pants. Like I think I would pick the, the, the Kelly green. If it was white pants with the high white socks with the green stripes, then I think I would pick the Kelly greens, but the baby blue and the accent with the maroon is just so fucking clean. It is so clean. I hope the Phillies are wearing them tonight. Actually. I think they might. Um, so yeah, I'm going to pick, the baby blues and maroon, but the Kelly greens are so fucking awesome. I mean, and they lived dude, you're up just to the hype. wrong. I can't believe that. <laughs> I knew you'd be disappointed. It's okay. I knew you'd be disappointed. So you'll appreciate this. So Nick Calcaterra, he is the biggest Jersey fan. I know. Right. Have you ever, every single time we play NCAA football or play Madden, every single game, he would go in and edit the jerseys. Every yeah, that's game what I did for, for both us and the opponent, every yes. game. Same. So I didn't. All right. That was him. That's not me. Right. So I'm not much of a jersey. I'm a stadium guy. Right. I'm a builder. He's a Jersey guy. He's a designer. He went to Oregon. Right. Dude. It is so funny because uh, like talking to him about all that stuff and everything. And like, he got me a Kelly green Jersey, a Deshaun Jackson, mm. Kelly green Jersey off that fake China website, like uh thing way back in the day. I was at Penn state still. I worked for state Patty's day. That's like why I had it. I come to find out that now his little brother has a Kelly green Jersey it, it, as they debut it full sir. Amazing moment. Amazing. Hilarious. moment, Right. Uh, just can't and, believe that that's a real one you can get. I just looked online. There's only XLs. I got to wait till they get back with more, but uh, I have, I, I have a one. Kelly green Jersey. I will. So my, I have a Reggie white Jersey, but it's white with the Kelly green number, but I, I have, but I have a Kelly green Jersey with white lettering from the last time the Eagles wore the Kelly greens, which was the, when Kevin called got knocked out week one against the green Bay Packers and Mike Vick stepped in. And it was the beginning of the Michael Vick era. I have a Stuart Bradley, Kelly green. He was a middle linebacker played at Nebraska was the middle linebacker for the Eagles for like four years. I played middle linebacker at the time. So I was like, I loved Stuart Bradley. I loved watching him play. I have a Stuart Bradley, Kelly green stitched, Jersey from the last time that they had them hasn't aged quite as well uh, because no one knows who Stuart Bradley is. People see that and they go, like, Oh, people tell you look like Bradley Cooper. So you got a Kelly green Jersey that says Bradley on the back. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what it is at all. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's Stuart Bradley. He played on the Eagles. He was, he was a good player, but hung around the league for a little while. Um, I love the Kelly greens. I love them to death. I used to every single, I have a franchise from Madden 2K14 on my Xbox 360, because that's the only video games that I play anymore. It's like once a year I get the itch. I crack out the Xbox 360. It's whatever year that the Legion of Boom were on the cover for Madden. And I've been doing this Madden franchise. I think I'm in like season number 12. And every single game I play, it's the Kelly Greens with the Kelly Green helmets. But I go white pants, white socks, white shoes, but the socks have the three green stripes on the outside. Um, but what I need to get my hands, I need the, the sweatshirt that Sirianni was wearing because that that was clean. That was as, sick. Clean. As, I loved uh, how there was definitely a moment. All the where coaching staffs goes through. Yeah, they're like, hey, I know you might have a lucky hat or something that you always wear. 
not fucking today. You're wearing not Kelly today. Green. And the I whole organization followed it. And shout yeah. out, shout out too, by the way, to NBC for the the graphics on the on all over the broadcast. Yeah. All the Kelly Greens. Like the score bug sick. at the bottom, the first down markers and everything they had were all the Kelly Green. Uh, and the football world rejoiced because the Kelly Greens are all time unis. And uh, I don't know the next time they're going to wear them, but I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be fucking awesome. All right. That's all we got. Long pod today, but that's what we expect with me and Vito. Go Fightins. Hopefully the next time we talk to you again. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we know the Phillies are in the World Series. If not, it'll be game seven Tuesday night. But again, hopefully we're not looking for that. Looking to be singing, dancing on my own tonight, drinking some beers, celebrating another trip to the World Series. Aaron Nola on the bump. Let's get it done, boys. Vito, thank you as always. Scotty, safe travels back. We'll get his stories from his bachelor party coming up later in the week. Until then, have a wonderful week. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. And until then, take it easy, everybody.